Welcome back to the podcast. Fifth and Long fans, got a good one for you today with Kamish. Talking a lot of NFL stuff today. This is our holiday-themed episode, so if you're traveling back towards family for the holidays, throw on this podcast, enjoy the ride, drive safely as well, or fly, or train, or unicycle, however you prefer to, to travel. It's up to you. Um, anyways, a lot of NFL stuff for you today, uh, as well as Paul and I's naughty or nice list in the NFL world. Really excited for this one. Hope you enjoy. Don't forget to follow us on all the socials. You can catch us at Fifth and Long on Twitter and Fifth and Long Pod on Instagram and YouTube. Thanks very much, folks, and enjoy. All right, fifth and long fans, back again with Kamish. Patrick DeMar here, Paul Kashak on the other end. Polly, my man. Uh, this is this is definitely my favorite time of the week. Um happy to get back after it with you again with, with some more football talk, among other things. This was uh this weekend seemed like, at least in the NFL, like an impasse for a lot of teams, whereas a win or a loss is really starting to dictate playoff outcomes and playoff opportunities or, or lack thereof for a lot of teams. We had some teams uh, that lost games this weekend that seeding wise has put them in some weird places. Same thing for teams that, that maybe won a game after having lost a few in a row, uh, getting off the schneid and, and trying to get back to winning ways, putting them back in playoff position. Perfect time of year for it too. If, we have three games left now in the season for every team. Christmas and and uh, New Year's is right around the corner. You actually can't see it, but I've got Christmas lights like all around my room here. Um, I'm excited. I'm very excited for how the rest of the season is going to turn out. If if this weekend was any indication of, of how the rest of uh, how the rest of the season could go, I'm very excited for it. Yeah, you can't be too surprised with uh, with what you said. I mean, it, the standings are very congested on both the AFC and the NFC sides right now with uh, the wild card race up for grabs. It's it's starting to seem like, uh, you know, Philly has looked pretty good for that top wild card spot or the whoever doesn't win the division between Philly Dallas on the NFC side. And the Browns are starting to separate a little bit on the AFC side for that top wild card. But after that, I mean, it's it's just a cluster of a bunch of teams both on the AFC and NFC sides vying for the final two wild card spots in their respective conferences. Uh, I can't tell you how excited I am as well. It's good to get some NFL games on Saturday this past week. I'm looking forward to the same this upcoming week and uh, with Christmas right around the corner. I am very jolly here. I got my Jolly Roger in the back. I don't know anybody I watching saw on YouTube or anything like that. Uh, they might be able to see it. Uh, so I'm that. happy. I'm happy for Andrew McCutcheon signing. Uh, we're not really going to talk much baseball on the pod, but a, a little feather in the Pirates cap uh, before we talk football here for the remainder of the show. Well, we did have the the tired glass now trade. He and Marco are heading over to the Dodgers. The rich get richer. I think I, the, the Dodgers aren't done either. They're going to add somebody else before this free agent window is closed, I think. Yeah, Glass now will be uh he'll be on the sixty day DL by June, but good for them for the time being. I'm a yeah. little bit of a bitter bitter pirate fan when he's it gonna, comes to talking about Tyler Glass now. He's gonna tear his UCL signing the contract. 
<laughs> I could. You never know. Well, they extended him too, I think, right? Uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. I've been I've been more focused on football through the past couple of days. I, I saw that the trade went down. Haven't really looked into too much of the particulars on it yet. Yeah, they extended him after five years, $136.5 million and a $10 million signing bonus. Good for him. Good for him. I hope he can stay healthy, but I think he's over... He's only gone over 100 innings pitched like twice in his career. So we'll have to see. But definitely a football-centric podcast today. We've got a lot to cover. Let's start with the game you and I had a little wager on last weekend. I uh, regretfully bet on the wrong side of this game between us. This was the first time I've lost a bet between us on the show, at least on the show. Uh, I had Dallas beating Buffalo... I think just straight up, right? That was our bet, just money line, essentially. Like Dallas to win yeah. is who I took, and, and you took Buffalo. Yeah, it was a small spread to begin with. I think only two and a half points, but right. we just went went on the money line anyway. And spread money line wouldn't have mattered. This one, uh, this was a blowout. 31-10, final score. The Bills trounced Dallas. And it was funny. I I, I mentioned it on last week's podcast that Dallas home and on the road is like two different teams and yet for some reason i was still on the cowboys side of it i tricked myself into believing uh the bills wouldn't be able to hang with them and and dallas's passing offense would just run them up and down the field but the cowboys really didn't move that ball all all that well through the air neither did the bills it wasn't really a high octane passing game by any means this was totally one in the trenches and and you kind of said this in the notes but james cook had the game of his career he had just an absurd day, 25 carries, 179 yards and a touchdown. He also had two catches for 42 yards and a touchdown. So over 200 all-purpose yards on the day. Josh Allen only had seven completed passes for 94 yards. Was this like one of those crazy Buffalo wind games or something? I didn't really look at the weather going into it. It didn't – I do remember seeing that it was not below – 32 degrees there wasn't snow or anything like that and I I didn't watch a lot of it live I kind of just caught the highlights after the fact but from what I saw Buffalo just set the tone and and Dallas was never able to get their run game established and it hurt them a lot they looked uncomfortable and and Buffalo is really leading into this sort of pseudo playoff must win situation that they're in at the end of the year and it's Turned into some good momentum for them down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, not, nothing real crazy on the weather uh, from what I saw just watching on television. I, I think that this was just Buffalo coming out with a different game plan than everybody thought. And it's so scary to to see that they can win a game like this. I mean, I don't ever remember Buffalo coming out with a game plan like this or winning a football game like this where they take the game out of Josh Allen's hands. Right. And I mean, Allen's stat line doesn't look great or anything. Seven for 15 for 94 and a touchdown. But they weren't taking the ball out of his hands because he was ineffective. They were just so good on the ground. I've never seen Buffalo run the ball this effectively. And it wasn't just James Cook. I mean, they get Ty Johnson involved in this game, too. He has nine carries for 54 yards. That's six yards a clip there. I didn't know Buffalo could win a football game like this. They've already been playing better the past couple of weeks. And if you're going to tell me that they can just beat you in the trenches and, and run the football, because that's been such a huge issue for them over the past couple of years is where does the offense come if it's not generated from Josh Allen? 
it, it came on the ground today from James Cook, Ty Johnson, Latavius Murray even got involved with a couple of carries. And this was against an elite NFL team in the Dallas Cowboys. I got to be feeling way more confident, confident if I'm on the Buffalo side, if I'm a fan or if I'm on the coaching staff now, because they've proven that they can win a game against a really good competitive team. If Josh Allen has an off day, um, I didn't think that they would, they could do that before this weekend. And a few weeks back when we did our coaching firing carousel, I had Sean McDermott on my hot list. I still think that his seat is lukewarm because I think as a whole, this team has underperformed throughout the whole course of the year. If you look at their whole body of work, they're an elite team and they're still only eight and six and the odds are still against them to win the division. So they'll still probably have to go on the road, but man, this is impressive here. And I give him credit for having this game plan. Cause I don't think Dallas saw it coming. I think Dallas was expecting Allen to drop back a bunch of times. Josh Allen used his legs in particular. And I think it caught the Cowboys by surprise. So credit to Sean McDermott here. Two big notes I had from this game. One following up on James Cook. He's now second in the NFL in rushing yards, very quietly. Christian McCaffrey, of course, first in the league with 1,292 yards as we speak. Uh, Cook is at 968, just two yards ahead of Raheem Mostert. He only has two touchdowns on the year in the running game, which I think is part of the reason why nobody's really been talking about him all year. It also does help that he just had a 179 yard game or whatever it was but the other note I had from this was I don't understand why Josh Allen went up in the MVP odds after this game he rose up to third it's not like he really did anything in this game to help them win I mean he didn't turn the ball over but he completed less than half of his passes uh his longest completion of the day was uh 24 yards to James Cook on on that touchdown and then he had an 18-yard completion to Diggs as well at one point. I think the game plan came from McDermott understanding the defense they were playing in Dallas and that if they gave up the ball a couple of times, they probably weren't going to win. Who's the person that leads the NFL in turnovers right now? Josh Allen. All right, well, we're not letting him throw the ball today. We're just going to ground in pounds. If it works, awesome. If it starts not working, then we'll start throwing the ball more. That's what I think the conversation was leading into the week. Smart game planning from McDermott. I think to me, at least now, I don't think he has a hot seat or even really close anymore. If they end up missing the playoffs, there'll probably be a conversation. But I would be surprised if they moved away from him. And Buffalo, I still don't. The math where they are right now, if I'm not mistaken, they're still the um, – I'm pretty sure they're still the nine seed. They are. They're still the nine seed in the playoffs. So they have to jump two more teams. With some of those other teams ahead of them playing each other and some interdivisional matchups happening, at, they could leap ahead. But even then, they have to win out to get into the playoffs pretty much. They need a little bit of help as well. And I don't really see them going on a stretch where – they finish the year winning uh, five straight wins, and then they win another four straight games in the playoffs. I don't think they're a team that can win nine straight and win a Super Bowl. So I, I think the run will come to an end at some point. Yes, they're a good team. I have them as probably one of the five or six best teams in the league right now, if not slightly higher. But I think more than anything, this is 
really excellent situational awareness from the team, understanding what they have to do to get into the position that they, they want to be in. And Josh Allen's not going to be denied at least getting to the playoffs, not just just Josh Allen, but there's a lot of other experienced players on this team. And, and they were talked about as much as they were in the preseason for a reason. Now we're starting to see it. It's a little bit late, but on the flip side, this is probably the best time of year to be picking up momentum in this fashion. Like I said, though, I, I, I don't see them winning at all. I don't even really see them coming out of the AFC. I think, I think the Ravens are a much better team. They're much more sound offensively, defensively. I think they would beat up on the bills if it came down to it, but time will tell. And Buffalo could absolutely prove me wrong. Come December and January or come January and February, I should say. I I don't really see as large of a gap between them and Baltimore. Uh, To be honest with you, I think that the way that the bills have played really even dating back to that game against the Eagles. I think that, that is where things started to start. You guys had, or myself and you had quite a lengthy conversation about um, because that, because they, I was saying that because Buffalo uh, was so competitive against Philadelphia, that gave me confidence that they could carry that, that level of play against the chiefs and against the Cowboys on what would really be a, a brutal stretch of their schedule. I think this is three straight games now that they have played at an elite level against the elite teams of the NFL and in my opinion, they passed with flying colors. Two of the games have been on the road. They're two and one. I mean, it took the Eagles overtime to beat them. I, I think that they are just as the way that they're playing right now. They are just as good as Baltimore. The difference between them and Baltimore is the Ravens have played at a consistent level throughout the course of the whole season, whereas the Bills have not. And that's why, from my opinion, I still think that Sean McDermott's seat should be lukewarm because really with a quarterback as talented as Josh Allen, I think that there should be to a degree, uh, a level or a sentiment of Super Bowl or bust with Buffalo. And, you know, they failed to win the Super Bowl, obviously, the past few years, despite having a really talented roster. The defense shouldn't be overlooked here either. You know, Baltimore's got a great defense. I don't I don't think that uh, Baltimore would be able to beat up on them. The Bills were able to hold the Cowboys to 10 points here, and, and they've had a, a less than healthy defense throughout the year. Of course, Matt Milano's missed the majority of the season he's done for the year and Micah Hyde their their talented all pro safety was out for this game and when I saw that news on on Friday I was watching NFL live I was starting to get pretty worried I was thinking you might go oh and three against me I thought the Cowboys with their passing attack might be able to exploit that uh, but they weren't and lastly if Buffalo can run the football like this like I said that's a game changer so if they're if they can deliver this level of play that they have over the past three weeks for the rest of the season, I do think that they could potentially come out of the AFC. They just haven't shown me through the course of the season that they can be consistent enough. You were alluding to that. I mean, this is a team that's eight and six on the year. What makes you think that they could win nine games in a row? We'll see if they're peaking too early. I don't know. But I think Buffalo fans are, are breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief the way things have looked over the past almost month. They did have a three-game winning streak early in the year when they started out three and one. They lost to the Jets in, in the open air of the season. We remember that game where Zach Wilson steps in for Aaron Rodgers. We had the uh, walk-off punt return touchdown, but then they beat it, beat the Raiders, the commanders and the dolphins, the dolphins win. they won by 28. So you can't overlook that, but the Raiders and commanders wins with the Raiders having fired McDaniels a few weeks later and, and the commanders now being kind of in that bottom level of the AFC. I still think the jury is out on them and, and, they're still on the outside looking in. So if they can make it to the playoffs, 
then I think we need to revisit this conversation for sure. But until then, they have to keep winning games or else none of this is going to matter. It's that simple, which is a pretty definite, like black and white way of saying it. But that's just the reality of where they're at right now, even though they have all this talent and certainly you could see them beating anybody on their best day. They got to make it to the dance first. Got to make it there first. But it's not a super tough schedule the rest of the way. I mean, the Dolphins game, the Dolphins game isn't hard, but the Chargers and Patriots should be wins. That Patriots game this time around is at home. Um, I think those should be two wins right there. And then we'll see how things shake out. With those two wins, they might be able to afford that loss to Miami at the end of the year. We'll see. That all depend on who beats who the rest of the way here. I think they're going to, I think they're going to need that win against Miami at the end of the year. We'll see, but you'd be saying, you'd be saying though, that they would need 11 wins to just get into the playoffs. That's a yeah. lot for the seven seed, the way, the way, but I mean, look at, look at the standings right now though. I mean, you've got eight and six teams right there and some of them are going to play each other, you know, aren't they? So I, I think 10 and seven should get it in. I know that their tiebreakers don't look great, but I think 10 and seven should be good enough. The Colts and Texans play each other once and they're the two teams immediately ahead of Buffalo. Uh, the Bengals will have to play the Steelers, Chiefs, and Browns, so it's not like they have the easiest schedule down the road. That's the other team in that wild card spot. But all the tiebreakers go against Buffalo. That's their big problem. They've lost to a lot of the teams that are ahead of them, so they need to find – they they need a little – they need to win, but they also need, like, multiple losses from other teams. That's why I think – we, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. That's why I think it's it's just going to be really tough for them to get there. But they could they could do it at the same time. I, I wouldn't be surprised either way at this point. We talked a little bit about uh, Buffalo. Or not Buffalo, excuse me. We did talk a lot about Buffalo just now. Uh, Seattle and Philly. We talked a little bit about Philly on that side of it. Philly is probably... They're the biggest loser for this weekend, in my opinion. If they win that game, they're in first place in the NFC East again, whereas somehow the Cowboys luck out. They still have that first place spot in the NFC East, still have the second seed in the NFC uh, overall as well. This was a crazy game. I, I was happy for Drew Locke, really, really happy for Drew Locke at the end of it, but just a crushing loss for the Eagles. Three straight L's for them in a row. A little bit of chatter coming out of the locker room, too, during the week. Uh, A.J. Brown going after Jalen Hurts, the coaching staff. Jalen Hurts after the game saying, I, I don't think this team is is taking things seriously enough. Essentially, I don't think we I don't think we're committed enough, I think was the exact quote. I'm concerned with them because they had those two losses back to back to essentially the two best teams in their conference. And I know I, I was seeing stats all week about how they haven't beaten the Seahawks in like 20 years or something like that. I think they're 0 and 9 against them in their last nine games. Uh, but in reality, you lose a, a game like this to a team who's reeling. They've lost several games in a row. They're on the outside looking into the playoff picture, still on the outside looking in. I know it's a tough environment and everything, but you've lost four straight. Or no, um, the Seahawks had lost four straight games before this. Both teams really needed the win, and Seattle wanted it more. That's really concerning to me. Yeah, I, I, I was putting off a little bit of the concern that I, I've been hearing around the league when it comes to the Eagles 
after their loss last week. I kind of just chalked that up to, all right, it's a road divisional game. They still split the season series with Dallas. The schedule looks much better for them the rest of the way than it does Dallas. They'll write the ship. They'll get things figured out. And to a degree, believe it or not, I still feel that way. I would still take Philly to win this division because I still think Dallas' schedule the rest of the way is more difficult. But you're right. They've got a golden opportunity here to grab an NFC win, even though it's an extremely difficult environment to play, and they fail to do so. They had some things working against them. Jalen Hurts uh, was a little bit unhealthy. looks like he came down with an illness. I, I had heard from somewhere that it might have been COVID. Not sure. It was his version of the flu game. We talked about Mahomes in Kansas City. They had their own version of that when they had to go into Denver. So I'll give Hertz a slight pass when it comes to that. But they still led throughout the majority of the game here, and they failed to close it out. And at the end of the day, you can't let Drew Locke, even though I give him a lot of credit because he made some great throws, you can't let a backup quarterback in Drew Locke go 92 yards on you and run the two-minute drill to beat you. I rip the Steelers to shreds for letting the Arizona Cardinals go on a 99 yard drive a few weeks back. And I'm going to stay consistent here. James Bradbury was beat that whole drive. And that's a problem. I think that this pass defense is an issue. I think Hertz might be a little bit hobbled on that knee, but I think the offense, I trust in the skill players on offense to get it together there more so than I trust this defense to get it together. James Bradbury got burnt that whole drive gave up the bomb to DK Metcalf. And he was the guy that was beat by Jackson Smith and Jigba for the game winning touchdown. And I'm sure we all remember the holding call, whether you agree with it or not was called on James Bradbury in the Super Bowl last year. We'll see. I think teams have proven they can pass on, uh, pass on the Eagles. And, and, and that's a problem there. That's the biggest concern for me. I think that they'll get it together to still win the NFC East. Like I said, but I do I have my concern level as high as it has been all year for Philadelphia. Well, their schedule down the stretch is certainly easier than the Cowboys. The flu game thing that you mentioned, Jalen Hurts actually. So he traveled to Seattle separately from the team. He they put him on a whole different flight and everything like they quarantined him. Essentially, I don't think it was COVID. I think it was something more in line with the flu. I, I heard a rumor it was COVID. That, that was unconfirmed. I right. should throw that out there. And I don't I don't think you're wrong for taking. So I want to phrase this carefully because I don't think he deserves a, a pass. But I, I to your point, like he didn't look 100 percent either for whatever reason, whether it was the knee or general illness, whatever it is. But he's up there in turnovers in the league now, too. and. The, the interception at the end of the game uh, didn't bother me nearly as much as the one that happened about midway through the fourth quarter with the Eagles driving. I think I want to say they were at the 45-yard line. They had a first and 10 with like eight minutes left in the game. And Hertz takes a deep shot, underthrows it a little bit, passes picked off, and that led to Seattle eventually going ahead and, and – um, winning the game I don't you don't need to throw that ball you don't even need that play call on first and 10 like what what are the, what did the Eagles make themselves known for last year running the damn football run the damn ball just go get points you got Jake Elliott there all you need to do is touch the 35 yard line and that's three points and I mean that 
at that point, still Seattle probably goes down and scores a touchdown, but there's a lot less time to do it. And I don't know, man, there's something there with the Eagles. Something just doesn't seem right to me. Um, I talked about this a little bit with the chiefs last week where I said that the vibes just sort of feel off the vibes in Philly, Philly feel really off. Like if we're on that scale of things, Kansas city's at like a five Philly's at like an eight, right? I'm not saying they're hitting the panic button because they're still in a great spot for the playoffs, but the infighting that I'm hearing about and just the way they've lost these games, like how the players look, they don't look happy. They look like they're pressing. They look pissed off. And I mean, you would think they pull it together and they probably will. They've got all the talent in the world on their team. They have three games coming up against two of the worst teams in the league, the giants, the Cardinals, they play the giants twice. And they play the Cardinals again. You would think that's three straight wins, but if they lose any of those games, you look at the last six games of their season going two and four, that's not a good look. And it's not a good, it's not a good look and it's not good for your momentum down the stretch either. You want your guys playing at their best. You want your guys happy come playoff time, not pressing, feeling like, man, like we got to get back in our groove or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm really concerned about them. And I think they've shown enough now concern, at least in, in road games against NFC teams with back-to-back losses against the Seahawks and Cowboys that I don't trust them as a wild card team. I think they could see an early exit, especially if they're playing against like the Niners in round two. <laughs> That's, that's not a good recipe for them making a deep playoff run at all. Yeah. Well, if anybody faces the Niners in round two, I don't think that's a, a recipe for, for a deep playoff run, but I, I get what you're saying on this. Um, I want to go back to the Jalen hurts thing. Um, and the, it's interesting the way you described this first interception is really how I feel about the second one. They had, I believe if I remember correctly, 12 seconds and still two timeouts. And he had had that nice run. I don't think they were quite at midfield yet, but they were close. Right. I mean, you have the whole field. You have the whole field to work with there with the two timeouts. Jake Elliott had banged home. But what was that? A, a 62, 63 yard field goal a couple weeks back against Buffalo to send it to overtime yeah. with room to spare. I mean, you got to just get the ball maybe 15, 20 more yards and, and you're theoretically in his range. You don't need to take the deep shot there at the end of the game. So I thought that was interesting that you had that perspective on the first pick where I, I really kind of thought I had the perspective that you described on the second pick. And by the way, the, the Seattle defender didn't get his toe down, but I mean, I don't think it would have mattered in the end, but um, yeah, man, uh, I think Philly will get things together. I, I think that they will kind of use these final three games as a get right type thing. They're going to have to, I'd be concerned right now, but these guys were here last year. I think they know what it takes and they understand that there are bumps in the road. You know, I really think, like I was saying last week on the podcast, that this was a team that, but at least before the San Francisco game, was winning so much that I think that they were just kind of, it was going to kind of be handed to them. And, you know, with the success that they had last year and it had rolled over into this year, they have kind of gotten shell-shocked. And they've gotten punched in the mouth now multiple times. It's like a boxer who took one big shot and is now taking a second and a third. This easy stretch in the schedule is coming at a perfect time for them. And I think that they will use it as a get right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I, I wasn't concerned with Philly last week. I, I got to say I am now, though. Definitely. 
definitely some good reason for cause for concern. Uh, the last notes I, I have on Seattle, and I'll just make this super quick. DK was insane on that last drive. The, it was. The catch going going through two guys, like somehow coming down with it. He is uh, – it pains me how inconsistent he was for the first 60% of the season or whatever because when he is – making contested catches like that. He's one of the most exciting receivers in the league. And we've seen that the last couple of weeks, just how he can dominate in a game or affect a game in certain ways at the right time. And Seattle being at 500 right now, I think is, I think fits them perfectly. Like they, they're a 500 team. And I did see some, some stat. I actually sent this to you. Drew Locke got the ball down. With under two minutes left, trailing by four or more points, led his team on a game-winning 90-plus-yard touchdown drive and capped it off with a 25-yard touchdown pass, 25 yards or more. The last NFL quarterback to do that was Brett Favre on September 20th, 1992, the last game he ever came off the bench. So I'm not trying to compare Drew Locke to Brett Favre. I'm just saying if he's stuck in that number one quarterback role going forward, don't be surprised. I I think there's a little bit of little bit of smoke to that. Geno Smith has been inconsistent all year. And Locke said it himself in the post-game interview that the team really rallied around him these last couple of weeks. I would love to see him continue getting the starting nod going forward, but we'll see. Yeah, I think that we'll touch on Drew Locke in a different segment. Um, but yeah, I was very happy for him. Uh, that was one of the best post-game interviews I've seen in a long time. And, and like I said, I don't want to spoil a segment that we'll have later in the podcast. So I'll touch on my thoughts on Drew Locke later, later then. If Seattle makes it to the playoffs and Denver doesn't, does Seattle officially win the Russell Wilson trade? Uh, to be honest with you, and and I think we'll get to this again more when we talk about Denver and their game against Detroit. I think Seattle's already won that trade. I, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think the way that we've seen things over the past couple of years, um, I I think that they have. Maybe you could take it from the perspective that Denver just kind of lost it because it's not like either team has been great since it's happened. Right. Know, Seattle was the last wild card in the NFC last year. And it seems like if they're going to get in this year, it would kind of be more the same and maybe an early round exit, but Denver's definitely a loser of that, in my opinion. Gotcha. Let's touch on this next game pretty quickly. This was the Thursday night game between the Raiders and Chargers. My oh God. God. My God. This was like, <laughs> uh, so obviously we were, this is the year 2023. You and I were never around when public hangings were legal, but this kind of felt like a public execution of Brandon Staley. I actually, in our notes, I likened it to the death of Joffrey in Game of Thrones. You ever seen Game of Thrones? Of course, I've seen Game of Thrones multiple times through. Yeah, multiple times. I'm rewatching it right now. I'm I'm like in the middle of season six, but I passed through. I think that's season four where Joffrey dies. If I'm not mistaken, yeah, I might. Sounds, sounds about right. right. I believe you're right on that. I, I think it's season four, and to like this was quick. It was violent, and for neutral people, it was kind of in a weird way, like satisfying, like after the first quarter, I stopped watching and everybody on Twitter is like fire Brandon Staley. The Chargers are down 21, nothing to the Raiders who got shut out last week. And then to double down on it, they were down 42, nothing at the half. So after everybody already made their mind up about 
get this guy out of here. He gives the Raiders another 21 points before the halftime break to boot. Everybody's calling for Brandon Staley's head on Twitter. I think Richard Sherman at the halftime uh, little segment that Amazon does was like, yeah, you got to fire him. You got to get him out of here. There's no way. So the writing was on the wall from that point. And, and I know that Herbert and Allen were inactive. Like those are without a doubt, the Chargers two best offensive players this year. They didn't really, things were going to be difficult no matter what. But losing in the fashion they did should not have happened. <laughs> like That was just a beat down. And, and the whole nation that was watching saw the Chargers give up on their coach and the organization. The next morning, Staley's gone. The GM's gone. A lot of char- A lot of changes are coming the Chargers' way. Who knows? Maybe Bill Belichick's leading the team next year. Maybe Mike Tomlin is. <laughs> I, I don't know. But something's got to give there, man. I, I would just clear house entirely, almost. Keep around the guys that you absolutely need. Yeah, that was ugly. Really, really ugly. Probably the ugliest game before a firing I've seen in maybe ever, actually. Yeah, it was so emphatic the way that it happened. I I mean, I thought that after the Dolphins beat the Broncos uh, with a 70-point total earlier in the year, I didn't think we'd see anything else that resembles that the the rest of the way. I mean, clearly I was wrong. I mean, this was a 63-7 to score at one point, and there was a couple late touchdowns from uh, the Chargers that made this final score look a little bit more cosmetic, which should say something considering the fact that it was a 63-21 to final. You texted me, I think, at the end of the first quarter in this game, does does Staley even make it to halftime? And, um, I mean, you would obviously never yank somebody at halftime, but, uh, you know, if they had the option to, they probably would have. There was probably a conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't know how you could do that to somebody's ego, but um, if there were ever a situation for it, it would be this one. Look, man, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, his players quit on him. You know, Herbert and Allen weren't in there, but, you know, they're no two players make up a 42 point difference. Uh, this was a team that, that wasn't ready to play that didn't want to play that's mailing it in. And, and, and uh, Staley's been a hot topic for a long, long time. Now, I think, you know, hasn't won a playoff game with who I believe is definitely a top 10, I think fringe top five quarterback in this league. And and I think that that's unacceptable. So the guys quit here. Uh, the chargers have cleaned house with firing him and their general manager. And we'll see where they go. I mean, I do think, you know, you talked about Belichick, Tomlin, um, you know, we've talked at length about the those two coaches and, and some of their struggles this year. L.A. Uh, for the Chargers should be a, a pretty appealing spot for a new head coach, just considering they do have Justin Herbert there. This was embarrassing, man. This was embarrassing. At least the nightmare is over for, for Brandon Staley. That's all I can say. Silver lining for him. At least he doesn't have to face the ridicule anymore. Seriously. Just to, at least for us, we don't have to watch him coach this team anymore that's the real silver lining this is good for the game good for football (laughs) fans all of us were a lot of a lot of football fans have been waiting for this for a while I uh I was happy for for Anthony Pierce though even though I still have a little bit of beef with him just for being on those Giants Super Bowl teams from way back when against the Patriots but in my opinion I I think he's earned the job in Vegas certainly if you can get a, a guy that I don't know. I, I think they're still going to hold interviews and, and maybe try to see if they can bring someone else in just because it's like, we all know the Davis family. We know how they operate. They're pretty ruthless. However, Pierce 
in my opinion, I mean, at this point, after a game like this, even though it's it came against a, another coach who just got fired, it's kind of hard to fire your own coach when they're putting up 60-point performances in, in divisional games on primetime, nonetheless. Yeah, I, well, you know, here's the thing when it comes to the Raiders. They went through this exact same situation just a couple of years ago when uh, Rich Basaccia took over as an interim head coach for them and actually got him to the playoffs. I mean, if people remember, which I think a lot of people forget, they were uh, just really one play away from knocking the Bengals out the year that the Bengals went all the way to the Super Bowl. I mean, Derek Carr had them down on what could have been a game-winning drive, and it was just an incomplete pass as time expired at the goal line. Um to have them fall to the Bengals in the first round of that playoffs. Um, so we'll see. So it's definitely not a guarantee that Pierce is going to get this job just because he has had a little bit of success uh, because Basaccia didn't get it when he took over as interim HC. Uh, but here's one thing I will say, these guys have played hard for Pierce since he's taken over. I don't know if we should credit that more to, to Pierce's coaching style or just the fact that they were pumped that Josh McDaniels wasn't on the sideline anymore. But the, the, this Raiders team is playing harder. I think it's actually probably putting ownership and general management in a little bit more of a difficult spot because I think that they've won just a few too many games now this season to get like a top 10 pick and potentially get elite quarterback, which they definitely need. But uh, I think it's good for morale at the very least. That's I'm glad you brought that up, actually. So they are currently in the 12th spot as far as draft picks go. And, and they could end up, maybe in the top 10 because uh, Atlanta and Green Bay are the teams that would pick immediately ahead of them right now. And, and they all have the same record. So there's a chance they could still work their way into the top 10, but you're right to your point. They, they've, they've won enough games now where it's, it's going to be a conversation in that ownership room. I think. Let's stick in the AFC, but we're going to move more to the top side of it. Baltimore-Jacksonville was a game I, I was sort of lightly hyping up going into this past weekend. I really, more than anything, wanted to see, one, if if Baltimore was going to keep, keep playing as consistently as they have been. I also was hoping to see Jacksonville bounce back a little bit. They had, I think, one of the worst first half execution wise I've ever seen from a team. If you go and look at the stats just from the box score, it doesn't look bad, but let me tell you how their drives ended in the first half. Okay. Cause this was maddening to me. I watched almost all of this game. I, I couldn't believe I was, I was on my couch raging and I'm not, I have no skin in this game whatsoever. I didn't care which team won. Um, Start off first drive of the game, punt. Then they had a missed field goal from the 32-yard line. Uh, McManus has been pretty good all year, so this was kind of a rare, rare bad kicking game from him. The next time they get the ball, he misses a 55-yarder. So, again, to recap, he starts, he misses a 50-yarder, a 55-yarder. Then the Jags get all the way to the Baltimore 23-yard line, third and 17. Trevor Lawrence scrambles, fumbles it, turnover. So that's nine points right there. To that point, Baltimore had only scored three. Then you give up a touchdown on the next drive to the Ravens after the fumble. You get the ball back with a little less than two minutes to play, a little less than, than a minute and a half. I think there was like 112 left. 
And the Jags actually had a pretty decent drive. They, they got the ball to within, they had this big sequence at the end where uh, Lawrence completes this, this pass a 36 yarder to Zay Jones with like 30 seconds left. And then afterwards, instead of just spiking it, getting down on the ball and spiking it, he tries to run another play and he doesn't even like, I've seen quarterbacks in that situation, like fake spike it, throw it through the back of the end zone, take a shot, whatever, just get the clock to stop. Instead he throws some short little like one yard out route and the guy gets tackled in bounds and the clock runs out at the end of the first half. You could have scored upwards of, I mean, let's say the fumble, instead of fumbling it, he's just brought down. That's a field goal. That's still 16 points, which was the exact difference in the score at the end of the game. Lawrence now is just, he's making mistakes. You don't really see from a third year quarterback. And I don't want to like rule out the guy as a starter because he has moments where you remember why he was the number one overall pick. And he certainly does have talent. But then he also just makes some really boneheaded decisions. And if I were a Jacksonville fan, I would have been pissed at the end of this game, even more angry at the end of the first half just by itself. I mean, you look at this game on paper, like Lawrence had 264 yards, 25, 43 passing. Your team didn't even have uh, 80, 80 rushing yards combined. Travis Etienne goes 10 for 31 when he had such an awesome start to the year. You're still missing Christian Kirk, who his absence is – has really hurt them for the most part. Uh, Evan Ingram wasn't quite as dominant in this game as, as he had been in, in the past couple of games. Just, um, Baltimore deserved the win. And to me, they're definitely the best team in the AFC. I just, like, Jacksonville to me, I, I don't even understand how they're the best team in their division at this point because they're, they're not as good as the record says they are. They're really not at least in, in my opinion, like I test wise, they make too many mistakes. I, I wouldn't trust them in, in games against actually good teams. Sure. Like they come out of the AFC South. Great. The AFC South's tough sort of, but none of those teams are going to do anything come the end of the year, you know? So to me, I, I'm, I'm officially all the way out on Jacksonville now. I just don't, I don't think it matters what's going to happen to them at the end of the year. They could, they could win their first round playoff game. Great. They'll lose the second round. I don't see them doing anything. I just went off on a tangent and I know that I'm sorry. This, it was just like inexcusable play um, for me, at least in the first half. That's my rant. Well, I, I would say by and large, I, I agree with you here. I mean, I, I, I agree that this team is just not, not playing at the level that they were few weeks back and and it really does trace back to Trevor Lawrence I think that their ceiling probably is one playoff win and out um you know they proved that they could win a playoff game last year so you can't put it past them here but there's a another play of Lawrence's that I don't think that you mentioned forgive me if um if I'm wait 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 here wasn't that playoff win last year against the Chargers after they were down by like three or four scores at the half indeed Indeed. yeah that doesn't that doesn't 30 point count that doesn't count After still, still, still no, a playoff win. We just talked about Staley for like 10 minutes and how bad he is. That doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, to to prevent you for to prevent us from going off on another tangent, I'll table that discussion for now. But um, I wanted to talk about uh, another mistake of Trevor Lawrence's that I, I don't think that you mentioned. Uh, if I am reiterating, I apologize. It was later in the game. I think it was six or seven minutes to go in the game, and they're down twenty to seven at this point. In theory, that game's still in reach, and he is bottled up for for what should be a sack, and he still tried. He's basically falling, being tackled by one of the Ravens' defensive linemen who. I can't remember. And he he's still trying to make the throw when he just needs to tuck that thing and take the sack there and live to fight another down. Instead, he tries to get rid of the ball. He ends up fumbling it. You know, he's trying to to cock his arm back to, to go into a throwing motion. And that's when the the ball pops loose. Ravens recover. That basically seals the game. I think they tacked on another field goal after that. I mean, it was it was done at that point there. So that was just another mistake of his. He hasn't taken a a third year leap. He took a big leap year one to year two, massive. Okay, he he goes has a three to one TD to pick ratio, throws for over four thousand yards. And myself and I think a lot of NFL fans out there are saying, "Oh well, year one he had Urban Meyer, who clearly is not fit to coach an NFL team, and he was trying to use college tactics that you would see on that Swamp Swamp Kings documentary at the University of Florida, which was a terrible documentary because it didn't talk anything about." the real interesting stuff of that University of Florida team, but that's an aside, maybe for another podcast. Um, so you think he gets Doug Peterson in the room, 25 touchdowns, eight picks in year two, 4,000 yards. I mean, the arrow is just going to point up and up. And I know he's dealt with a couple of small injuries this year, but by and large, it's been regression. I mean, if you look at these stats, you know, they're not eye-popping. He's got 18 touchdowns, 10 picks. The QB rating is less. He's going to throw for around the same number of yards, but, you know, I expected a leap for 30 plus touchdowns here out of Lawrence and we're not going to get 30 TDs from him. You talk about this team not being scary. It's because the quarterback's not scary right now. So we'll see. I mean, if CJ Stroud can get healthy, the Texans got a huge win to tie the Jaguars in record. You know, I think if you give me a healthy Stroud, I'm taking the Texans the rest of the way. Absolutely, they do not have the division locked up. And uh, for that matter, who knows if they even have a playoff spot locked up. I'm not quite going that far, but they're going to have to battle for these last couple of weeks, something that I didn't think anybody was was really thinking or saying about midway through the year. My last point with this game is going to be just a little small note on some of the things Lamar is doing. He's now second in the MVP odds for the NFL. I don't think he's deserving of the MVP award, but I do think that this is probably the highest level of football we've seen him play since his MVP season. It's not quite at the same level as that year was, but it's, it's close in some ways. And I think a little bit back to Cam Newton, different body types, but sort of similar styles of game in some ways. Cam made it to a Super Bowl his age 26 season. Lamar's 26 right now. This is the best the Ravens have looked with him under center and his ability to evade pressure is probably better than anybody else in the league. I mean, the only other guy that really comes to mind would, would probably be a Jalen hurts or uh, a Josh Allen, maybe Mahomes at times, but man, there, there's like two or three highlight plays from Lamar game where he's spinning out of a sack, scrambling for another five, six seconds, somehow finds a guy open or, or puts up a jump ball only in an area where his receiver can get to it. I still think there's another level of two up he can go in his game, which is really exciting to me and should be for Raven fans. Like, like 
he's not playing the best version of football that he can play. So there's still room for him to grow. Even just in this season with how little time we have left, there's room for him to improve. So for me, I think if you're the Ravens, you're the number one seed in the AFC and the best player on your offense isn't even really playing at his peak potential. I would be very scared to play them in any sense if I was any team. That's why I'm looking forward to this Niners game so much on on Christmas night. I think that's going to be, it could be a really awesome game. It also could be an absolute throttling by the Niners, but I don't really think it will be. So, uh, I mean, Baltimore is now, uh, I think they're, they're three losses this year. If I'm not mistaken, the, the biggest score gap in it was like, I don't think they've lost by more than like four or five points this year, if I'm not mistaken. They, no, they lost to the Steelers by a touchdown earlier in the year. Otherwise, they lost by a field goal to the Colts and two points to the Browns on a game-winning field goal. So I, I just don't see anybody like crushing them, really. Now that I'm saying this, someone's going to clip it after the Niners beat them by 40 <laughs> this weekend, but... Seriously, the Niners yeah. beat everybody by 40. So yeah, that's a fair point. Can't draw too many conclusions there. One last thing for me before we move on here. Um, while I as well, I, I would agree with you that I, I would not have Lamar as my MVP this year. You can't ignore how much of the offensive burden he does have to shoulder with Mark Andrews being out for the year now. It's not an elite receiving core by any means. You know, Odell Beckham is, is past his prime and, and Zay Flowers is, is still young, as is Rashad Bateman. And then I think that uh, just a devastating injury, uh, something that some people might be overlooking, but I'm certainly not. Uh, Likely has been good, though. Likely has been good. Likely has been good. I, I was going to talk about Keaton Mitchell. Though, oh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the injury to Keaton Mitchell um, at running back. I think Keaton Mitchell was having another really good game here. He had been another big element in their rush offense and and his injury. I think his injury were hurt more than people realize. And that's obviously causes Lamar to shoulder more of the rushing brunt here. He rushed for nearly 100 yards in this game. So there's not much around him. I'll admit that, you know, it's tough for me to admit this as a Steeler fan, but he really does have to carry that load on offense. He's he's doing certainly good enough right now. Well, even then, even still, this is probably the best receiving core he's ever had, even with the injuries, which is crazy to think about. But I think it's it would still hold up, even just looking at who's in that room healthy playing right now. So we'll see. Time will tell. But I I know you're you're not going to be rooting for the Ravens' success. I'm not necessarily rooting for their Certainly success not. either. No, I didn't assume Certainly not. so. But I. I think there's some good things ahead for them. We'll see. Tampa Bay, Green Bay. Awesome game. Awesome game. Baker Mayfield fan club. I'm officially a member of now. Uh, Green Bay now, not mathematically eliminated, but it's it's almost impossible for them to make the playoffs. They're six and eight. And sneaking in as a wild card spot is going to be extremely difficult for them now. Uh, Baker was damn near perfect throughout. Four touchdowns, perfect passer rating. This was a huge game for him, too, especially having a matchup in Green Bay the last two seasons for two other different teams. Cleveland a couple of years ago, uh, the Rams last year filling in for a hurt Matthew Stafford. This was sick. This was like the version of Baker that we all thought we were going to get when he was one of the top picks in the draft so long ago. And if this is the version of him Tampa is getting down the stretch, I've been talking about Tampa as a divisional favorite for 
really the whole season there. And last week and the week before I talked about it a little bit more. Now I'm, I'm really believing it. I think they've improved a ton the last month of the season. Um, Rashad white is one of the better all purpose backs in the game. He's certainly up there. He's not on the same level as like a James cook, for instance, but I think he's, uh, probably just a tier below, I would say. He's doing some awesome things. And Baker's got a real connection now with Godwin and, and some of the other pass catchers in that offense. The defense has started to step up a little bit more. Uh, Green Bay, they're still one of the youngest teams in the league, so this isn't the last we'll see of them. They'll they'll get some more veteran depth next year and, and draft some more guys in and probably get a little bit better. But Tampa Bay now in a great position to win the NFC South. They have the same record as the Saints. Otherwise, though, uh, the Falcons lost this weekend to the Panthers. So it's really just whether or not they can outlast the Saints at the end of the year, and, and, and I think they will. But, again, time will tell, man. And um, kudos, to, kudos to Baker, dude. It's crazy. Like, the rise of Baker Mayfield coincides with me never seeing him in commercials anymore. Yeah, you make a good point there. You get the you kick the progressive commercials out of the itinerary, and and this guy has a a perfect passer rating in Green Bay. Only other person to do that is Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what what more can you say about this stat line with over three hundred eighty yards and four touchdowns here? Uh, he did get Chris Godwin involved, uh, which was a little bit of a change of pace because we've seen Mike Evans kind of dominate that receiving core throughout the year. I think it's unrealistic to say Baker's going to play this well for the final couple games. I mean, that just because literally he was perfect from yeah. a passer rating perspective, but I mean, yeah, super impressive. I can't call it between the Buccaneers and the, and the saints for the NFC South. I go back and forth pretty much every week as we've talked about plenty of times. I think that we've given the NFC South much more attention than they deserve, but nonetheless, uh, super impressive here. The, the one thing that I wanted to pose to you, this is actually something I heard on, on 93.7 The Fan, uh, who's the Pittsburgh flagship, flagship station that I, I listened to for my Pittsburgh sports news. Uh, they were talking, uh, apparently, I guess the the top two favorites for comeback player of the year are Baker Mayfield and DeMar Hamlin. Um, it's a unique situation given what happened to DeMar Hamlin last year, but where, uh, where do you just come down as an objective fan? Like, would you give the comeback player of the year to, to Baker or to DeMar Hamlin in that situation. I know where I stand, but I wanted to get your opinion on it as well. And then I'll, I'll give my take. I'm actually, I'm going a different direction with this. Where's Joe Flacco. Why isn't he in the, in the top two? Well, I don't think that you could give him an award just based on him. Like even if he finishes out the rest of the year, he's only going to still play six or seven games. That's, that's not enough to give a comeback player of the year award to. So if he, I mean, he's been the best quarterback Cleveland has had all year. He's a huge part of the reason why they're winning games right now. He didn't have an awesome uh, game in their win against Chicago, but I mean, he spent like a year on his couch and it just comes out of nowhere and is playing well. Baker, I, I think deserves some love as well. And I could see why he would be up there. Like I can't really think of anybody else you could put into that conversation. I, I mean, how many games has DeMar Hamlin even played in this year? Like, I think he's only gotten a handful of snaps. I mean, 
Uh, just to talk about your yeah, he's got point. I mean, two tackles this season. Why? Like, I I understand he almost died on the field and was in the hospital, and like the softies listening to this are going to be like, oh, he deserves it. No, he, no, he doesn't. Give it to Baker. Give it to a guy who actually played this year. I yeah, we're going to come down as a cold blooded podcast. I I completely agree there. I mean, I think that the comeback player of the year award is not necessarily my favorite award. I, I think sometimes that the awards given to the person with the better story a lot rather than the the player who's actually taking the biggest jump from uh, one year to the next. But I mean, if we can remember Baker was bouncing around teams last year, I mean, you remember him just showing up, you know, a couple hours before a Thursday night game for the Rams uh, and he ended up, you know, not even really knowing the offense, but led them down on a game winning drive last year. It, it's a guy who didn't even have a home and now he might be leading a team to the playoffs. You know, it's obviously incredible story with Tamar Hamlin for him to just even come back and play a snap or two. But I think that you have to take into account what the guy has actually done on the field. And and if you do, I think Baker Mayfield's the clear choice. Uh, Joe Flacco, I mean, I, I kind of see where you're coming with that in, in terms of just like he literally has come off the couch. So, I mean, come back in the purest sense of the word, but he just hasn't played enough games. And his stat line just doesn't line up to Baker's seven touchdowns, five picks for Flacco in his brief return. Baker's got 24 TDs to eight picks. He's going to threaten for 30 TDs this year. It might come up just short. He's got a little over 3,300 yards. It's, it's an objectively really good season. I mean, these numbers are extremely comparable maybe if not a little bit better than the numbers of Trevor Lawrence's that I described from 2022. And, you know, I was uh, hugely high on Lawrence after last year. So I I've given Baker a lot of crap just as a Steeler fan seeing him struggle in Cleveland, but I can't this year. He's been objectively very good. I don't care how cold blooded it is. DeMar Hamlin doesn't even belong in that conversation. Like he's played in, he's logged snaps in five games this year and he's only had literally two tackles. I can count on two fingers how many tackles he's had this year and yes awesome story glad he's healthy want nothing but th- good things for the guy but like it seems like the nf if he is the one who gets the award it will be like it'll be a little disingenuous in some ways like not like, entirely but a little bit i agree I, but i could see it happening it probably will happen it probably will yeah. I, I don't know uh Cincinnati, Minnesota. I still don't know how much stock to take in from these two teams considering. Well, okay. Let me reset. The Bengals, I kind of know where I stand on them now. Minnesota, I feel less sure about because this is their, what, fourth starting quarterback this year. Their defense is legit. Like Brian Flores being in charge of that group, they're, they're going to have good games. and. For Kevin O'Connell to still be having this team just like playing competitively is awesome. Getting Justin Jefferson back in this game was was pretty huge, and and he helped open things up a little bit. Definitely for for Jordan Addison, who had an awesome game. But man, like this is not a game they should have lost. They were up, uh, I think it was like seventeen to three at the end of the third quarter, and then. Cincinnati outscores them 24 to seven in the fourth quarter in overtime. Jake Browning had less than a hundred passing yards until there was like a minute left in the third quarter. And they just turned it on at the right time. They started, he started hitting his throws. Uh, T Higgins made some awesome catches. Jamar chase ended up going down at one point in the game. And for Cincy, like they're just playing their best football right now. And, and Browning 
looks legitimately good. Like if you, if I was, <laughs> I, I don't know how to, how to phrase this the right way. I, I'm not saying he looks like Joe Burrow out there, but there's times where I'm fooled into thinking it's not actually Jake Browning. Does that make sense? Like, I don't, I don't want to compare the two because they're, they're not deserving of comparison at all, but like he looks comfortable and he's helping them win games. He struggled for most of the game, but he turned it on at the right time. Like we've seen Burrow do that before in this offense. And it just, he meshes well with them. Like, I don't think I am now at the point where I don't think him being out there, like really hurts them. I think he is more of a plus for them than a negative, even though he's a backup. I would even go as far as to say is he could probably start for like, a third of the teams in the league, probably like regularly without injuries to anybody. I, I, I disagree on that last point. I, I think that this guy just hasn't had a big enough sample size yet. Um, he's he's uh, more of a plus than a negative in terms. If you look at, at the backups out there right now, he's definitely on the upper echelon of the backup quarterbacks that we've seen this year. I mean, he's no Joe Burrow by, by any means, but you're right. This guy's helping them win games. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. His stat line looks a little bit better than in theory it actually was. Let's let's not forget that second touchdown that he threw or the touchdown at the end of the game to – Oh, that was unbelievable. Essentially. Oh, come on, man. He got lucky as hell. That he was, just chucked that up under pressure. T. Higgins made that play happen. No, that's what I was going to say. That was one of the oh, best okay. catches I've, I've seen okay. all year. Yeah, that yeah. was incredible. I, I, I'm saying I'm saying that Jake Browning doesn't deserve really as much credit for that. That was T. That was all T. Higgins there. I think the defender slipped, and yeah, then he reaches it across the pylon. I mean, that was a little bit lucky from Browning's perspective. Great play from Higgins, who needed to step up big time, like you said, with the chase injury. The bang. I mean, the Bengals are playing the best they have since they had that um, stretch when Joe Burrow finally got healthy. Remember when they played the Niners uh, in the middle of the year, and then you know, obviously Burrow gets hurt again. We'll see. I mean, Jake Brown, it's been a great story with Jake Browning. I'm I'm still skeptical just because, I mean, this guy was 27 years old before he even got a shot in the NFL. You know, he definitely has some he's confidence, which I think that that is very similar to Burrow. I mean, you know, we've, we've had seen Burrow have a lot of moxie, a lot of confidence in his press conferences. I'm sure that you saw the video of Jake Browning, you know, throwing his helmet down, looking in the camera, saying you never should have cut me because uh, the Vikings did cut him. Uh, you know, just like I was skeptical of Tommy DeVito last week when you're high on DeVito, I'm, I'm going to stay skeptical of Jake Browning here just because I know that the NFL sometimes just needs to see film on you before they can tear you down. But but good for him, nonetheless. So he looks better the, than DeVito, though. Come on. Oh, no. Yes, I, I agree. I, I'm, I'm just saying that it might not be realistic for us to expect this level of play just because we've seen it for only a handful of games so far. That, that That's the only point I'm trying to make in terms of Jake Browning. Yeah, I wouldn't I do go ahead. I wouldn't ahead. like expect him to to do this every game, but I don't think you can dismiss it either. I mean, if you look at the stats, Burrow's played in four more games this year, but their touchdown interception ratio is pretty similar. Burrow's 15 to 6, whereas Browning is 7 to 3. Uh Browning's completing his passes at a 73.6% clip over six games, which like that's a good enough sample size now for you to look at that and say that's a legit number. Uh, his quarterback rating is slightly better than Burroughs. Uh, his QPR is slightly better than Burroughs as well. Um, Burrow, again, has more games, so there's there's more to look at. And again, I'm, 
I'm not trying to say he's better. I'm not trying to rehash the whole DeVito Jones thing that we did last week, which backfired in my face. I just like, he is, he's helping the team win games. And I think there are other teams he could have helped win games too. Like if I look at the Patriots right now or the commanders or the jets or the Titans or the giants or the Raiders or the Falcons, that's like, or the Steelers. That's like 10 teams right now that he could step in for and be the number one quarterback right away, right away. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I I don't think that you're wrong. Like, just blatantly wrong but i think that you're that's a far leap to to jump right now let's let's keep in mind he's got a lot of talent around him i know chase got hurt in this game he's got chase higgins joe mixon's a good running back chase brown has stepped up in situations uh this year as well as a good uh one-two punch you know great so coaching he's too. got great coaching and zach, zach, absolutely i'm glad you brought that point up because i think zach taylor has been dismissed as a head coach a lot over the past couple of years and people have chalked up cincinnati's success in recent years to just Joe Burrow being a really good quarterback, which I mean, Burrow deserves more of the credit. Let's, let's not beat around the bush on that, but you can't take away from what Zach Taylor has did to get Cincinnati, you know, to the Super Bowl the one year and then back to the AFC championship. And you can't take away from what he's doing right now. So I don't think that you're some of the teams that you mentioned. Yes. I think he could jump in and at least help them win games, but I think Cincinnati is, is a really ideal situation for him that, that makes him look better than he would on some of those other teams. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, the last note I have with Cincy, just on their defense, this is the most bend-don't-break defense that the NFL has right now. To back it up, they are 31st in the league in terms of opponent red zone scoring attempts per game. So they are letting their opponents into the red zone more than any other team in the NFL except for one, being the Arizona Cardinals. However, they've only allowed touchdowns in the red zone. Their opponent red zone scoring percentage for only touchdowns is 11th in the league. So to only give up a touchdown half the time when you're allowing the other team to get into the red zone, that's actually pretty awesome. And they're second in the NFL in turnover margin behind only the San Francisco 49ers. So the way that they're just like that stat alone tells me that they might be a slightly better team than they look to be on paper, just in terms of like taking care of the football, executing, doing the little things, right. That's the stuff that wins you playoff games. I'm not going to crown them as a team that's going to have a deep run in the playoffs. I just wouldn't be surprised if they won more than one game. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't, I'm not expecting it, but when I look at some of the other teams in the AFC, like certainly in the playoff race at this point, we mentioned their coaching. We mentioned the talent that they have on offense. And I just mentioned that the defensive stats, there's six seed right now. They'll probably stay in that spot, but who's to say they don't beat like the chiefs or the, the Jags in an opening round game. And then after that, I mean, it's, I mean, it'll come down to whoever they would have to play in that second round. Baltimore and, and Miami is tough. And, and if Buffalo can sneak in, they'll be kind of towards the end there. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've got some high hopes for Cincy right now. They're starting to win me over. Uh, 
Well, I, I, I would speak up and say, I would say that they would not beat the chiefs that they, they won't beat the chiefs. Um, I, I don't, they, they would have a shot against the Jaguars, at least the way the Jaguars have looked, looked the past couple of weeks. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, they have to one. play the chiefs in a couple of weeks, New Year's yeah, Eve. That, they'll, they'll get beat. Um, but I, um, yeah, they might have a shot against a team like the Jaguars. I'd be surprised if they won more than one game. I mean, you're saying that the Jake Browning would get them to the AFC championship game. I mean, I would be pretty surprised there. But we'll say, I mean, credit to Cincinnati. I mean, the fact that they didn't quit on the season when they certainly had an excuse to do so after Burrow went down. I think that the, a lot of credit, like I said, goes to the coaching staff and goes to the rest of the players on, on their team. Real quick, if I could, before we move on, I want to talk one or two quick points about Minnesota. You did bring up that that red zone defense for Cincinnati. I think that's interesting there because Nick Bolins did have a, uh, a turnover in the red zone in this one. And then... For the first time all year, I actually think Kevin O'Connell did not coach the best game, at least down the stretch. In overtime, when they had the ball fourth and one, uh, and they tried to QB sneak again after they had just tried it on third and one and gotten stuffed, it was the exact same formation. It was the exact same motion. Cincinnati was completely ready for it. I thought for an offensive mind such as O'Connell, that was pretty um non-creative especially considering how well Ty Chandler had run the ball on offense for Minnesota so I thought that they should have uh, given it to him there if they convert that first down might be a completely completely different game Minnesota might just end the game right there on that drive so that shouldn't be overlooked a little bit of a bad mark for O'Connell I think that this is probably gonna um, ruin any chances he might have had of being coach of the year I personally still think he's done a phenomenal job with this Minnesota team given all the hurdles that they've had to jump through but uh not a great coach game in my opinion here. And I'm one of the highest, highest supporters of O'Connell this year. No, I'm with you. I was, I was disappointed as well, just slightly and, and how he handled things. They're still in a playoff spot right now. They're in the sixth seed at seven and seven somehow, but like. You're right. I mean, you can't blow a 17 to three lead that you had going into the fourth quarter, even if it's on the road, you got to find, no. you got to find a way to win that especially against a, a team with their backup quarterback out there, even if it is Jake Browning, like that's a situation you should win. I, I could definitely see Seattle and LA catching up to them. I could see them falling out of the playoff race, but we'll see. Um, they finished the year with the lions Packers and lions again. So you would say they probably need to find a way to win two out of three of those games right? Yeah. 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 I don't like it. I don't like it. We'll see. Cleveland, Chicago, 20 to 17 final score in this one almost looked totally different actually, because the bears had that almost hail Mary at the end. That was pretty cool. That was, that was sweet. Yeah. That was wild. I do feel like I'm eating my words a little bit after last week, we sort of talked (laughs) about fields maybe giving the front office in Chicago a discussion about not taking a quarterback with their eventual top pick. Now maybe the Panthers end up, God, I hope the Panthers can win a couple more games and the Pats get that number one pick instead. But um, Fields was not necessarily awesome in this game. I don't think he was like terrible. The numbers aren't going to do him justice because he still made some awesome plays and he actually had a would have been touchdown taken a would have been touchdown did not occur it just went like right through the hands of his receiver this was going to be like a 60 or 70 yard bomb I don't I don't remember exactly who the receiver was but 
it should have been a touchdown and that would have flipped the score of the game as well. Um, overall though, 19 of 40, 166 yards. He had more rushing attempts than anybody else on the team as well. Seven carries Chicago doesn't really like neither of these teams really ran the ball. It was just a, it was like a seven on seven game. Flacco had 40 plus pass attempts. I would not have assumed Flacco would have more than 40 pass attempts in a game in 2023, but here we are. And Amari Cooper was awesome for the Browns. David Njoku had a career high in receptions with 10. He's slowly turning into the one of the five or six best tight ends in the league. We talked him up a little bit last week. Ultimately, though, like the Bears had their chances to win this. They were a combined four of 20 on third and fourth downs. And you can't execute like that in those situations if you want to win games. I, they had... I want to say four or five different plays where they had like third and ones or fourth and ones. And instead of just like running it up the middle or tush pushing it, they would run these stupid like jet sweeps to the outside or like touch passes or like reverses or something trying to run plays to the boundary. Instead, you have one yard to go right ahead of you forward. Why are you going to the end of the field instead? I I don't think they converted a single one of those plays. I just like, like Goodell said himself, he's not banning the tush push. Why don't more teams do it? Like we should see it every single time. Um, that being said though, I'm pretty sure the Vikings had a couple of, uh, I think the Vikings had a couple of, of tush pushes that didn't go their way in that loss against the Bengals we just talked about. But anyways, the Browns are now seven, one at home. Um, they have two road games left this year. One home game. Their, their road record is not that great, and they are going to have those games against um, Cincinnati and Houston, two teams that could be in the playoffs. So there's a little bit of cause for concern there with the Browns. There's some good things happening there. Flacco, the, the pick six that he threw wasn't his fault. That, went, that, that was in a receiver's hands until he got absolutely lit up. The ball just fell into a defender's hands. So uh, the Browns are probably the, the fifth or the fourth or fifth best team in the AFC at this point. I, I just don't know what their ceiling is really. Yeah. They're, they're a tough team to evaluate for sure. Uh, just, you know, you don't quite know how much longer Flacco will keep it up. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. What level does he play at? Um, let's talk about fields first, or let, let me talk about fields first before I kind of talk about the Browns. I, I I'll eat my words as well. I mean, I, I was kind of agreeing with you last week that, you know, it may, he might be doing just enough to, to make that decision difficult in the front office for if they do take a quarterback or, you know, maybe they could go about trading the first round pick again. Um, I kind of liked that idea last week. For me, I just kind of stepped back and said, yeah, you know, the, the stat line probably looks a little bit worse than, than it actually was just based on how some of those interceptions came to light. But 19 to 40 is not going to cut it. I still, you know, this was the way this game went was kind of indicative that Justin Fields still kind of can't win or, or can't succeed against elite level defenses, which if you're a franchise guy, you're going to have to. You, you might not do it every every time you face an elite defense, but you're going to have to do it, you know, more times than not. And I, I don't think that we can say that about Justin Fields and it's not like his his rushing was that great today either I mean seven carries for 30 yards isn't you know isn't going to turn any heads there so I mean it's impressive that the Bears were able to to keep this game as close as they will as they were but 
Like at the end of the day, also another staple of a franchise quarterback is when you have a lead going in the fourth quarter, you got to find a way to hold it. You know, you talked about some of those play calls and believe me, as a Steeler fan, I, I get annoyed based on jet sweeps and everything too. So, you know, maybe some of it's on the play calling for the bears, not converting and, and putting this one away, but you know, they, they led by 10 in this one going into the fourth quarter. You have a double digit lead going into the fourth. If you're a franchise quarterback, you need to find a way to hold that lead. I get it. You're on the road. I get it. You're facing a playoff team, but you know, that's stuff the franchise quarterbacks do. Let me shift over quickly to the Browns. Um, I did think that Amari Cooper made a phenomenal play uh, for, for them to go ahead and take the lead. Not only oh, yeah. to catch it, not Great. only to make the catch in traffic, but then also toe tap or um, toe tap along the, the sideline and stay in balance there. Crazy pass too. That was in between two or three defenders, I think. Yeah, there were at least two guys like right there. I think of the third guy in the area. You're right. So Joe definitely had some balls for sure. Uh, he did uh, throw some interceptions through to the other team a lot today, but I mean, he's still at the end of the day through 374 yards. So, so that was pretty impressive. I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say one bad thing about Kevin Stefanski that I've kind of been saying all year. And then I'm actually going to give him some credit. Um, they got to run. I still, they still have to run the ball more. Jerome Ford, eight carries for 20 yards. Kareem Hunt, seven carries for eight yards. Meanwhile, Flacco throws over 40 times. I mean, just because Nick Chubb went down doesn't mean you should abandon the run. This is still a good offensive line. You should still be able to run the football. I think that the, that should still be the staple of the Browns, even though Flacco's provided them some life from the quarterback position. With that being said, I believe Kevin Stavansky is now among, if not the front runner for coach of the year. And it's hard to find a more deserving candidate out there, considering that maybe their best player on offense, Nick Chubb goes down considering now that they're on their fourth quarterback this year, you know, they went through Deshaun, they went through PJ Walker and Dorian Thompson Robinson, and they're nine and five um, long shot for them to win the division. Uh, I think that they'd have to win out and Baltimore would have to lose out. So they're probably not going to win that, but they got a good chance to be a top wild card here and maybe win a game in the playoffs. He's done a phenomenal job. He's already was coach of the year in 2020. He's a dude that could win coach of the year two times in five years would be pretty damn impressive from Stefanski's perspective. So I'll give him some love there for keeping this locker room together and still finding a way to win games, even without uh, some of their weapons that people thought they were going to have earlier in the year. And I'll give him credit, even though I still think that he could make things a lot easier for himself if he ran the damn football more, but if you're winning, you're winning. So Stefanski right now is sixth in odds for coach of the year. Oh, is he really? I thought he yeah. was higher up there. I think he should be higher up there than he's sixth. plus one thousand, according to uh, Bet MGM. I think that's a good bet for our betters out there. I thought he was shorter odds than that. The coaches ahead of him are Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, Shane Steichen from the Colts. I might be mispronouncing that. Steichen, uh, Steichen, D'Amico Ryan's, and then Dan Campbell. Actually, Dan oh, Campbell's the favorite at plus two seventy five. Which is okay. hilarious considering how many games he's actually lost for them this year. <laughs> Where do these odds like who decides these? <laughs> well, we'll talk about the Lions in a second. I think that you're selling Campbell a little bit short. I think he's had some questionable decisions, but by and large, the culture that he's instilled there is, is very impressive. And yes, I, they, they, they've had a good turnaround from they were just a 500 team. They've had last year. They've had a good turnaround from last year to this year. They're going to win their division. He's deserving of being in there. I just like. 
we've picked him apart in a couple of games for dumb things that have happened. Let, let's jump to that game. Honestly, Detroit Denver 42, 17 win for the lions just to beat down. Like this game felt, it didn't feel this close. And I say that with a 25 point difference in scores, like Detroit could have beat these guys by another couple of touchdowns. I felt like, um, Goff had five touchdowns. Gibbs, Montgomery both ran the ball really well. Laporta had three touchdowns. He looks like a like a mini Gronkowski called, at times. Called him as the tight end one, baby. Called him as tight end one. That was a good prediction on my fantasy perfect lineup from last week. You did just that. I um, man, the Lions are still like a, a week to week like Jekyll Hyde. Which version of the team are you getting? And it seems like whenever they play a team that is like. Certain teams that they play that are lesser than them, they just absolutely manhandle like this. And they're absolutely going to have the NFC North well in hand. I think they're going to have to beat Minnesota at least once, maybe twice in order to do it. But I think they will. No, no, no. They just need to beat them once. They're good. Just once? They just beat them once. Yeah. Yeah. I think they'll. Actually, technically, they'll technically they don't. They just need to win one more game. Okay. And yeah. they clinch. And they clinch. I mean, they should be able to do that. They should knock on wood um on denver they like they're just sometimes they're tough to watch like the offense has never really been good at any point this year that their winning streak came from like avoiding mistakes turnovers and taking advantage of the other team's mistakes and there haven't been enough of those situations in the last couple of weeks for them to continue to win games. I could see them winning all three of their remaining games against the Patriots, Chargers, and Raiders. I could also see them losing all three of those games. I don't know what to expect. And either way, like their ceiling's capped. They're not going to do much in the playoffs this year if they make it. I, I just, I don't know. There's whatever happens with them, their off season, I think could be interesting. I think Peyton could, um, I think Peyton could make a lot of changes trying to bring in more guys that agree with his fit and system and, and scheme. Yeah. Um, let me talk about Denver first since you, uh, since that's kind of where you ended and segued here. I think this was the nail in the coffin for the Broncos season. You asked me who won the, the Russell Wilson trade when we were talking back about Seattle. I, I said that you can make an argument that Seattle won it, or you could probably make a bigger argument that Denver lost it. Look, I don't think Russ has been bad this year. He's certainly been better this year than last year. I think that that goes largely uh, due to coaching. I think he's, he does have a better coach. He's got 24 touchdowns, eight picks, but he still hasn't reached the 3,000-yard mark uh, this year. I think that there's been plenty of games where, you know, he just kind of has the sub-200 or barely over 200-yard stat line, maybe generates one touchdown through the air. It's just not good enough. It's not, you know, the, the Russ that we saw in Seattle – I don't think that this version of Russell Wilson is capable of taking this team anywhere. I don't think that they're flooded with weapons, but it's not like they got nobody. I think Cortland Sutton's a talented player and and Javante Williams is a talented running back. But in that same light, the offensive line just hasn't blocked this year for Williams. He had just 12 for 27 on the ground today, even though Detroit is a very sneaky, tough matchup for running backs. So this was the nail in the coffin for Denver season this year. I, I don't know if they're they're ever going to be able to to win or, or make a, a deep playoff run with Russ. I, I just think he's a little bit too much over the hill, and and maybe this game was the exclamation point uh, for that opinion. 
That's about all I need to say for Denver. Let me shift over to Detroit. I thought this was their most complete game of the year. I mean, they this this was victory from start to finish, have a 21-point lead at halftime, and, and they really don't let their foot off the gas. Um, really, all of the playmakers got involved on offense. Laporta, you mentioned, had three touchdowns. St. Brown goes over the century mark, has a touchdown himself. Jameer Gibbs finds the end zone, I think, what, three times or maybe twice. He caught one and ran one in. He had 100 yards. Montgomery had 85. I mean, everybody got involved. Goff with five touchdowns. So great performance there, and their defense holds Denver to 17 points. I think Detroit needed this because they just haven't they haven't looked great the, the past few weeks. I mean, they had the loss to Green Bay. You know, they, they had the uneasy win against New Orleans. There's something else I'm missing in here. I, I forget who else that they played recently. Um, trying to think who else, uh, the loss to Chicago. How could I forget that? The loss to Chicago last week. So this team just hasn't looked as good as they did early in the year, the past few weeks, but the way they played against Denver on Saturday night, that was the Detroit team that looked more like the team early in the year. Um, they should have a cakewalk for the division. Now, if there was any doubt on that going into this game, so they're going to get a home playoff game, which is massive because Jared Goff is like night and day when he has to play outside in the cold compared to when he gets to play inside in a dome. Fully expect this Detroit team to probably win their home playoff game. And then I think that that's where the road gets a little bit uncertain for them. But great job. I think Dan Campbell had this team absolutely locked and loaded, ready to go. They ran the rock effectively, which has been a staple for them, especially after losses this year. Uh, I think that Detroit fans and their coaching staff and everybody's breathing a little bit of a sigh of relief after this game. Steelers Colts. Paul, man, this has been a rough couple of weeks for you guys. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I, I, I'm okay. Uh, I this kind of aligns to... for your, this kind of aligns with like your plans anyways, right? It, it aligns with what I've been saying, yeah. Um, I actually want to turn this game back around on you. I mean, as as a big Tomlin supporter, like what's your what's your confidence level in him, and what's your opinion in him after this game? I'm I'm interested to actually get your opinion more <laughs> more so than get mine out there. Yeah, I mean, look, it's. I don't think again, it's kind of like what I've been saying the last few weeks. I don't think this is entirely on Tomlin, but it doesn't look great either. You started the game up thirteen nothing, and then. Like the running game hasn't been consistent enough all year for you to be able to hold a lead and and win a game. And the quarterback play wasn't going to be good enough to to bring you back once you went back down. There was turnovers, bad play calls, like Trubisky's really not good. And they threw Rudolph in at the end of the game. I guess he's going to start next week. But to me, it's like, it doesn't even matter. If anything, I think Rudolph going out there is like Tomlin saying, I have no idea what to do. I don't know what to do. We're just going to throw Mason out there and maybe it'll be better. So I don't know. I still think you're better off with him than without him. I think there are more glaring issues with the team that are easy to overlook because of how frustrating the last few years have probably been as a Steelers fan. And like on the flip side of it, the Colts were good enough they've been good enough all year they haven't been great they haven't been bad but they've been good enough and Minshew is kind of like the definition of that he's the perfect quarterback for them as a team and and I kind of like him um Indy's deserving of a playoff spot to this point the Steelers are deserving of missing out on the playoffs I would say 
I would bet that whoever is in charge of making decisions with Pittsburgh is probably going to wait to decide on Tomlin's future until the win-loss record is is determined. So if if you guys get to nine wins or nine losses, I should say, once that ninth loss comes, I think he'd probably be out. If he makes it through this year, it'll be by the skin of his teeth. It won't be by much. I, I think he's losing a lot of supporters, not just in the city, but in his own office. Um, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Yeah, man. I, I mean, it's been a tough year for Steelers fans. We, we've talked about it a lot the last couple months. And um, well, I don't know what happens next for you. I don't know what happens next, but I, I could see some changes happening. I just don't think it's been like, I don't know if, you need like a, a you need like somebody to drop sixty on you is what you need if that's what you want. Here's here here's the thing. Um, for me, the, the the biggest thing comes down to I I still I think he's lost the locker room and and though I I've had my negative opinions about Tomlin over the past few years, even though yes he's kept the whole you know winning winning season record alive. I don't think that he's ever lost a locker room. I mean, last year they were five and eight and they were able to rally and win the, the final four games to, to, to get to nine and eight and, and fight for a playoff spot at the end of last year, this year, it's been the complete opposite. I think all you need to do is look at George Pickens. I mean, there's a viral clip this week that's going around of him uh, not blocking for Jalen Warren down by the goal line where Warren was actually tackled like inside the two or three, like at the one and Pickens just doesn't block his man. And, and that's what prevents a touchdown on that play. Pickens has Deontay been a head Johnson. case like all year. Though. Yeah. I, does, does that yeah. say more about him as a who he is or Tomlin? I feel like that's just more a reflection of Pickens, the person. Well, I think it's about Tomlin. If you look at the overarching theme, really, I mean, it's not only Pickens. I mean, let's let's talk about Deontay Johnson a couple weeks in Cincinnati, not trying to pounce on a fumble. Um, it's not like, you know, Pickens is the only guy that there's been this issue with. Um, I'm going to say Antonio Brown, and you're, you're probably going to have the same reaction. But I mean, Antonio Brown quit on the team as well a few years back. I know that he's a big head case himself, but then go look at a more veteran guy like James Harrison, who was falling asleep in team meetings and that they let go because there was was discontent between him and the coaching staff. And Harrison ends up signing with you guys uh, on your road. I believe that was the year that you beat the Rams in the Super yeah. Bowl. Yeah. Um, you know, and that Melvin Ingram, it's the same thing a couple years later when we brought him in for outside linebacking depth and he was disappointed uh, with his playing time because he was playing behind J. Watt and Alex Highsmith and he was more just a rotational guy and you know Tomlin used the phrase we want uh volunteers not hostages and they ended up letting letting Melvin Ingram go when they could have used that that piece for depth and um I think that there's just been a few too many cases like that where yeah I I didn't I don't think Pickens's head is in it right now but I don't think he's the only guy on that team whose head's not in it and I also still think even if it's a difficult player to corral the head coach should shoulder a lot of responsibility for that. And um, I, I just, I just think that this team just hasn't, I, I don't think it's like shown as much effort as some of these other teams that they're playing. Like I thought you guys came out with a lot more effort 
um, in that game on Thursday night. You guys have nothing to play for. So that, that's the biggest thing for me. I mean, I could talk again about the the seven years coming on seven years without a playoff win. Um, at the end of the day, I think that just things have gotten worse for the Steelers the farther and farther away Tomlin's gotten from the the Super Bowl caliber roster that he inherited inherited when when he first got here. And um, I think he's losing guys in that locker room more than anything. And, and I think that's why the change needs to be made. So um, I think that that probably is only going to happen if we do finish out with a losing record. I think it's what needs to happen. So I guess that's what I'm rooting for. I'm I'm at the point now where I'm not too – like I don't get down after a Steelers loss. I know who we are this year. I know we have no chance to compete. So it, it's kind of just eh, – it is what it is. You think Pickett – is Pickett going to make it back before the end of the regular season? What's so the apparently what's the timetable? Uh, so apparently there was like the slimmest of slimmest chances that maybe he could be back this week. It, it does seem like it's going to be Mason. If Pickett isn't healthy, Mason is going to get the start. Uh, I don't really see a point in rushing Pickett back here. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to make a huge difference in the end. And I, if you do want him to potentially assert himself as the franchise guy for next year, I would, wouldn't want to risk further injury, but I am betting that he should be back the following week. So that would be their game in Seattle. I, I do think he's going to be back before the end of the year. Okay. Yeah. He's not, he's not on IR. So that, so that should tell you something that they haven't put him on IR yet. So they're, they're at least holding out hope. You would think a loss this week probably guarantees a losing season. Probably. Like, I don't really see you guys beating Baltimore that last week of the season in Baltimore unless. Only way is if they have the number one seed locked up, you know, and they have yeah. nothing to play for. That's that's kind of the only way. Yeah. <laughs> and that could be that could be maybe a bit of hard, uh, hardball strategy, maybe in that last week of the season. If they do have the, the buy locked up, maybe he's like, hey, we want this Tomlin guy to stick around. Let's 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 let him have this one. <laughs> um Maybe, who knows? no i just i'm kidding i'm kidding but uh, you know what though uh, we talk a lot about the steelers whenever we're talking about a steeler game but i like i do think the colts do deserve some credit here no um, they do they do for sure. you know the, we the, the steelers had some injuries and and they certainly didn't you know look great with some of their miscues but the colts had injuries in this game too you know zach moss leaves the game so they're down to their third string running back it was kind of a combination of trace sermon and some other guy I'd never heard of. And then they're missing their right tackle as well. Michael Pittman goes down um, with that uh, that hit to the head by DeMonte KZ, which I don't know if you've seen, but, you know, uh, yeah. our safety KZ who laid the hit on him, he, he's, he's suspended for the rest of the year. I saw that, yeah. I saw that. I think that's just coming from – like, I, I know that – I think a, a lot of the – stuff that we've seen with hits this year is just a reaction to the, the Hamlin thing from last year. Like nobody wants to have a situation where everybody in America is watching a guy fight for his life on the field anymore. And what, like it or not, like hits like that do contribute to those sort of situations from time to time. And I, I I've seen some of the reaction from that. My guy, Tom Brady even said like, the quarterback should know better than to, to put it in that sort of situation. And I don't think he's wrong necessarily, but at the same time, like. He, he might've let Wes Welker over the middle one or two times. I mean, Wes Welker was concussion city himself. 
Well, that was that was Wes Welker's game. He was an over-the-middle guy. Like he led the league in receptions, I think, for two or three straight years when when he and Brady were connecting together. And um, like that was his bread and butter. It was just who he was, you know? And there was definitely some concussions there at the end of the year. But when you you have the volume of like 115 receptions a year, you're gonna take a few shots for sure. Right. I, I, where I was going with that is I, I just think it was a little bit unfair to blame Minshew for that. I actually thought it was like a pretty well-placed ball. I mean, those guys are going so fast. It's it's difficult. The pad level's changing constantly. I'm glad you brought Brady up because I did want to touch on that because I know he's had some comments and he's called the game soft. It's like, come on, man. A lot of the rules that are in place now, I mean, you brought up the Hamlin thing. I, I've never really looked at it from that perspective that that play particularly is influencing calls. Maybe it is. I'm not, I'm not trying to dispute it. I've oh, definitely. Kind of definitely. That. Well, I mean, I've always kind of looked at that as more of a freak play uh, on the field. I mean, they, then they say that was like a one in a million or type situation with, um, with just the way he was hit and his heart rate had to be going at like a, such a specific instance for that to happen i mean but i mean maybe you're right though i mean i mean that 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 could certainly be in the back of the heads of the league it's just something i hadn't considered but what i wanted to say is that like a lot of the rules are also in place or were put into place you know going more so off of the roughing the passer stuff because of guys like tom brady because the because the league didn't want to see stars like him go down and i think it's just ironic that now you know he's calling the league soft for a lot of the rules that were put into place to protect the guys specifically like him well he also he was never the the guy to like back down from a hit though if he took one he would get back up except for the one time he tore his acl um yeah and it's not like all i'll say like there's there's no reason for a guy to be suspended for the season for a hit unless it's something that's like just obviously so out of bounds that you shouldn't be doing that. And I don't think that really fit into that category. It probably wasn't a hit you should have made, but I, I think a fine would have been would have been okay if you're gonna punish the guy, but suspending him for the rest of the year seems a a little just like a little out of touch, I guess. I don't know. I, I mean, for for every roughing or unnecessary roughness call we've seen that makes sense, there's been like four or five this year that haven't made sense at all. So, yeah, it, it took me back. I mean, yeah, I, I agree. Give him a hefty fine. I didn't even completely hate that he was thrown out of the the game against the Colts. It looked bad in real time. It looked a little bit better when you look on the replay. Like I think it looked more like he was leading with the shoulder on, on replay. I'd have to go back and watch it again, but you're right. I mean, I was taking it back suspended for the rest of the year. I mean, it, that's a killer too. Cause make Fitzpatrick went down as well. So we have legitimately no safeties. Yeah. That's like, it. I mean, you can't, I just, I don't know. I, they got to figure out a different way to go about that sort of thing. Or I, like he shouldn't be done for the rest of the year. I, I don't know. Doesn't make sense to me. Um, Rams commanders commanders have now lost either five or six straight in a row. I think it's five. And um, Sam Howell actually got benched in, uh, in the fourth quarter. He was really bad up until that point. Like he's been, he's it's crazy because the rate at which the commanders pass, he's still yards wise one of the leaders in the NFL, but turnovers, he's one of the worst in the league. Um, 
he's not really efficient either. And um, they went to Jacoby Brissett and Brissett, they, they look totally different with him out there. So I, I don't think that was them switching up quarterbacks just because of the score. It legitimately seemed like they were trying to make an effort to actually like come back and win when he was out there. So I think Howell is, is if not done as a starter there, he's pretty close. And now I could see them picking a quarterback in the draft when it comes time for that to happen. If, if not bringing one in through free agency, who knows, maybe they bring back Kirk. Um, that would kind of be a cool story, but on the Rams side of things, they're now in the seven seed in the NFC playoff race. They are definitely one of the seven best teams in the NFC. I would even go as far as saying they're probably one of the four or five best. Um, they've got a couple of tough games left on their schedule. They've got to play the Niners at the end of the regular season. Um, otherwise, they have a matchup against the Saints at home next week, and they have a game on the road against the Giants in between. So I s- probably see them winning their next two games and getting into the playoffs, but they can't avoid any mistakes at this point in year. Um, that Saints game is going to be tough because the Saints are trying to fight their way into a playoff spot as well. But ultimately, I think they'll get the job done. They, they should be the better team in that matchup. Yeah, uh, just one or two points on this one quickly. I, I do feel a little foolish myself. I had been a little bit high on Sam Howell. I had, I had some belief within myself that eh, maybe he could be the guy and that Washington would stay off of a quarterback in this draft that seems to be out the window now, especially as their record's gone down the drain and, and Howell's play has done the same. So that's about all I have to say on the Washington side of things. For the Rams, man, uh, you know, the the final score here, 28-20, they didn't blow them out of the water. They let them back in the game a little bit with uh, Jacoby Brissett coming in. However, I mean, they scored 28 points again and really could have gone over that 30 mark for a fourth time in a row. Kyron Williams had a fumble in the first half uh, in the red zone. You know, that might've been the difference there them scoring 30 again. It wasn't like blow your mind away. Good type day from, from Stafford, but a very efficient completion percentage, 258 yards, two touchdowns. Cooper cup seems to like officially be back. This is another 100 yard game and a touchdown. Uh, I know a lot of it came on that, that bomb to him where he was just wide open. must've been a busted coverage. But everything's clicking for the Rams. I really do think that the way that they're playing now, they should be mentioned in that uh, kind of second tier. So the Niners are in in their first tier in the NFC all themselves, really in the NFL. But then in that second tier of the NFC, I think that it's kind of been Dallas and um, Dallas, Detroit, Philadelphia. Even though Philly's had some struggles over the past few weeks, I still think they belong in that category. I really would put the Rams right in there in that cluster with them. I think that fully healthy, they are that good. Kyron <coughs> um, Williams, another dominant day, even though he did have that fumble, like I said, 150 yards, two legit pass-catching weapons in Nakua and Cup. Stafford's a quarterback that's done it before. He seems to be healthier now. Um, we'll see if he can hold up maybe over a playoff run. I fully expect this team to be in the playoffs and win a game. Williams had a couple fumbles. I thought, I think he had two. Yeah, he did. He had two, but no, I I'm, I'm there with you. They're, they're a solid team and they could be a tough out in a month or so. Chiefs, Pats, Patriots stink. I can't believe we, we beat the Steelers. I really wish we didn't. If, if not with the Panthers winning this weekend, we would be, if not in sole possession of the number one pick, we'd be a game closer. Uh, yeah, not too stoked about that. 
we sort of wo- uh, waved the white flag at, in the fourth quarter too. We just like stopped trying to move quickly when we still could have came back and won that I didn't really understand, but I guess it was just evidently clear. Like we're tanking the win last week was a mistake. The chief side of it, Mahomes really leaned into Rasheed Rice this game. This was one of the better games he's had in Kansas city so far in his young career. If they can keep doing that and just like develop developing him going forward, I think they will be in a good spot. It's kind of recently seemed like they're trying to protect Kelsey a little bit and just like keep him healthy so that he can be around for the playoffs. They're not really making him a huge part of the passing game. And I think that's by design. Like I, I would think that the offense looks a little bit different come playoff time, but I, I could be, I could be just speculating. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know exactly what's going on with Travis Kelsey there. I, I do know that he, there might've been a little bit of uh, illegal contact or PI on, I think he had one opportunity to catch a touchdown uh, at some point in that game. He had a couple really lackluster. He had a couple. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. I, to me, it doesn't make a lot of sense to just like not use one of your best players to, to just save him. But I mean, they do know they're going to be in the playoffs so maybe there's some credence to what you're saying here. Uh, no run game without Pacheco in this one. I think Mahomes' stat line, he, he did go over 300 yards and two touchdowns. I know at least one of the interceptions was, again, completely on Kadarius Tony's fault. I mean, that guy makes a huge blunder like every week. I mean, the ball just went right through his hands to, uh, to the other or to the New England defender. Like, We've talked about it with the Chiefs. You mentioned it last week. I, I kind of said that they weren't as hungry as some of the other teams. You said that they were pressing. I mean, this is still – this performance to me was just still not complete. It wasn't dominant like we've seen them in the past. They're still kind of figuring things out. But you know what? It wins a win. They're 9-5. and five. They still got three more weeks to figure things out. And I've got confidence that Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes will get it together come playoff time. You know, they'll have at least one home playoff game, maybe two. Um, I'm still I'm still not going to bet against him in January. I just can't, man, even if this team doesn't look as menacing as it has been in years past. Did you know that Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski are the same age? They're both 34. Yeah, I think I've heard that before. <laughs> and Travis has actually played in, well, now 14 games more than, than Gronk has. So this is like, the plus one season that he has on, on Gronk this year. That's interesting to me. Cause I, I mean, obviously Gronk had a more tattered injury history. He had a whole bunch of injuries in his career. He, he did like his knee, his back, his elbow. I, I think he needed a couple surgeries on that elbow because it got infected and he ended up having to go back in under the needle again. And, and Kelsey has not had the same injury history, but the hits still, add up when you've got 899 career receptions to Gronk 621 during that time span. Now Gronk was blocking a lot more. So he was in the trenches more often and, and still um, going through tough contact, even when he wasn't being targeted, which is probably different for Kelsey. It's just something to, to look at. I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if this is Kelsey's last year in the league, to be honest which you might think I'm crazy for saying that, but like <laughs> you've got a chance to wipe up Taylor Swift in the off season, man. You, I wouldn't blame him if he wants to settle down and go on tour for a year or two. 
Well, I don't even think it's like completely because of Taylor Swift. I, I, I don't think that that's crazy to say this could be Kelsey's last year. Um, think about his brother. I think there's there's a lot of speculation this is going to be Jason Kelsey's last year. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a little bit older himself. Um, I mean, I could see maybe Travis, you know, Travis won two Super Bowls now. Who knows? Maybe they, they could still win a third this year. Um, not sure, but it's certainly within the cards. And he could walk off into the sunlight and retire with his brother and go into the Hall of Fame first ballot with his brother. You know, I could see him pulling a move like that for sure. That's that's not out of the question. Yeah, we'll see. Just something to look at. Last game I want to hit on real quick. Uh, <laughs> Saints-Giants. We just talked so much about Tommy DeVito last week, Tommy Cutlets. This was not the best game from him, but I'm not putting the loss entirely on him. Um, the Saints were just a hundred times more physical than the Giants were on both sides of the ball. And, and the Giants' Swiss cheese O-line came back today. The Saints were getting pressure on DeVito whenever they wanted and DeVito was running for his life. He actually took a hit that knocked him out for a little bit because the concussion spotters on the sidelines or whatever pulled him off. It was a rough hit, but he could have just been like trying to sell the contact a little bit. I, I couldn't really tell. Um, I will also give credit to Derek Carr. I have given him a lot of hate this year, and he was very efficient in this game. I will say they were playing the Giants, so don't get too ahead of yourself. You're seven and seven, but you don't really have like a quality win yet on the year. So time will tell with the saints. I, I still like DeVito as, as a guy. I hope he still plays well. The The chances of him retaining the starting job now are a lot slimmer though. I would say a lot slimmer. <laughs> yeah. This is kind of what I was getting at last week. And, and you're right. Like it wasn't, all on DeVito. If Jones um, was out there, this probably would have looked about the same. Like that O line is terrible. It wouldn't have looked much better. I I I I agree. I mean, they they were kind of manhandled in all aspects of the game. Um, the Saints clearly, uh, I think, were using some of the Tommy DeVito hype as motivation. I saw multiple yeah. players on their de- on their defense doing doing his uh, his celebration after they sacked him. Oh, they so, were angry. They were angry. Yeah. Saints are ready to play here. I think that they they had probably heard plenty about Tommy Cutlets on the news and and were, were sick of that and and wanted to to lay the wood there. So credit to them for doing that. It's a team win. Um, you know, conversely, while this is a team loss for the Giants, I think it's a team win for the Saints. Uh, you mentioned Carr had a good game. You, you got to give him props. I mean, his his top weapon, Chris Olave, or at least top pass catching weapon. I think Kamara might be a little bit more productive this year, but. Olave was out in this one. So, I mean, there's really not too many guys to throw the ball to and Carr still able to have a solid day. Not too much else that we need to say. I think that the Saints clearly were the better football team. They proved it out there. Um, they keep pace with the Bucks in the NFC South as that division seems to be turning to more of a two-team race. You're going to think, so I may not phrase this in the right way, but I think Olave not being out there actually helped Carr because he kind of just stares him down like anytime the ball is going his way like it's so easy to predict when they're throwing to Olave because there's not really a ton of other options to throw to so I think without him being on the field Carr actually went through all of his reads he spread the ball around pretty well like 
I'm not saying they're a better team without Chris Olave. They're not, but Carr wasn't just like a one look, two look guy in this game. He was doing a good job of like finding the open receiver and making the right reads and the correct throws. So yeah, so, I mean, I've, someone will I've, get angry for me saying that, but it's, that's how I feel. Like I I've heard that argument for not, not specifically Cardo Olave, but just for a team with an elite receiver that sometimes a quarterback, when he's out there, tries to force it to him too much. I mean, and like at the end of the day, Olave is still the most talented pass catcher out there. So I'm not going to say it's better for the saints without him, like you said, but I, your, your argument is it ludicrous. I'm not buying into it, but like, I get where you're coming from there. Yeah. I've heard it before. I don't think Olave was like needed in this game. Clearly it wasn't. No, no. Um, they could have probably just run the ball the whole time. And that was the other thing. If you talk about the run game, the Giants had none of that. Whereas the previous <laughs> week against Green Bay, they had ran for like nearly 200 yards. So that was that was a big swing as well that we need to to shed some light on. Some other real quick notes. MVP odds, Purdy now the overwhelming favorite at minus 200. This is the first time we've actually had like minus odds on anybody in the MVP race. And he's the leader in pretty much all quarterback statistical categories at this point. The offense is so uh, efficient. It's crazy. You sent me a stat that said that they have the fewest, the Niners have the fewest passing attempts in the, in the league, but they also have the most passing yards. I can't remember if it was the most or the second most, but yeah, they're either like first or second in terms of passing yards and they have thrown the ball fewer times than any other team. That's insane. Um, Lamar is second at plus 500 odds. Josh Allen is third at plus 800. I hate that. He is not deserving of being in the top three, in my opinion. Um, Dak at plus 900 is fourth. I was surprised he fell as far as he did. And now Christian McCaffrey is in that fifth spot at plus 1,200. And I, I think with a few more games like this, you could see him get into that top three, perhaps. Uh, I still think it's a little far-fetched for him to, to win the award, but certainly at this point, he's going to be a runaway for um, player of the year, especially if is, is Tyreek going to play this next week. I don't know if he will. Is he even, I, I think so. Um, because I think that, you know, he was questionable throughout the week. And then as we got closer to game time, he got ruled out. So it wasn't like he was ruled out from the jump. Um yeah, that that's interesting. The fact that the Dolphins were able to kind of, even though it was against the Jets, like you can't draw too many conclusions from it, but because their offense still put up 30 against like kind of a solid defense, I actually, you know, Tyreek being out this past week hurt his chances uh, for an MVP. And, and I was advocating for that last week. I think he'll be back, but Christian McCaffrey does, does push up here. He's dominated Arizona, his two best games of the year against the Cardinals. Um, the only other point I did want to make was I agree with you. I don't, I think that this is like pretty harsh from the MVP odds committee, whatever you want to call it to push Dak down this far. It was a subpar game, but I think everybody on Dallas stunk and I think Dallas is still a really good team. And by and large, Dak has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. Certainly I agree with him. I agree with you that his odds should be better than Josh Allen's. And um, I think should be at least right there with Lamar. So uh, I actually don't hate now Dak at plus 900 sprinkling in 
a small bet on that because I think now it has a little bit of value. Probably going to be Purdy, but like if Dak balls the past couple the final weeks and secures a division title for the Cowboys, like I still think he's in the race. So that might be worth a sprinkle there, plus nine hundred. Yeah, I just don't understand how Allen is now ahead of him. It's not like Allen. Yes, he had the one touchdown pass, but it it was Cook on on the receiving end of it. It wasn't like he didn't even have a hundred yards passing in the game. What did he do to help them like win the game? He wasn't even, I would say one of the three or four most important players in that win. It's not like he single-handedly outperformed Dak. Dak actually had, even though he had no touchdowns and interception, Dak actually had better numbers at this game than Josh Allen. So I, I don't know the, the MVP thing. Sometimes how the odds change week to week, it just leaves me scratching my head. Like I don't understand it really just seems like no matter what, unless the quarterback of this team stinks, it's going to go to the quarterback of the team with the best record, no matter what. And Purdy, that's that's being disingenuous to Purdy because, like I said before, he's the leader in pretty much all statistical categories for quarterbacks right now. If they lose like this next game this week against the Ravens, yeah, actually, if if the Ravens win this game, Lamar probably is the leader, regardless of how Purdy plays or how Lamar plays. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, given that it's head to head, yeah, it could switch that much. I don't know if uh, I think I think that would happen, honestly. Like I, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, you might be right. I mean, the odds could shift that much. We just um, saw it happen with Allen and Dak. It's not like yeah. Allen deserves to be ahead of him. Lamar doesn't yeah. deserve to be ahead of Purdy or Dak for that matter, but it, it will happen if the Ravens win this weekend. Yeah, no, you're probably right, which um, I don't, uh, you know, I think that these odds a lot of times just kind of shift as they shift more based on the perception of the team around the league. Like, I think you were answering your own question with why Allen's odds have gotten so much better lately. It's because the Bills in general are playing better. And a large part of that does have to do with him, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think as a whole he's been more valuable to his team than than a guy like Dak, as I said. And um I I do think his he's a little bit too high up on this list, considering also like he's turned the ball over a lot this year as well. Yeah. Shouldn't be ignored. Tied for the league lead in turnovers. Um switching over to the fantasy football side of things, we're gonna give out our award winners for this past week, and then we got a cool little segment um to wrap up the show with after the fact. So Starting again from bottom to top from our awards winners for fantasy football, we like to give out some awards from week to week, just highlighting uh, positive and negative performances from the fantasy football side of the football world. So our Elvis Presley impersonator award, this is going to go to a guy filling in for an injured player, someone that you wouldn't, well, it doesn't have to necessarily be an injured player. It could just be someone on a different team that they look like that they're doing a really good, representation of through their play and any given week typically it's going to go to a guy filling in for an injured player though so i'm giving this to josh palmer of the los angeles chargers filling in for keenan allen and that wide receiver one role for los angeles he had 21.3 fantasy points on the day and yet he's rostered in less than 20 percent of leagues he was only started by 1.3 percent of managers so i know there's some like sicko out there who had josh palmer and their starting lineup in a playoff game this weekend which is crazy to think about but it was absolutely true for sure because we saw it on there uh he had four receptions for 113 yards with the raiders and one touchdown um most of that came from a 79 yard touchdown pass that he brought in so 
without that big play, he doesn't really have that much points to his credit. So definitely take that with a grain of salt if you're thinking about starting him again next week. However, still a great day for him. Shout out Josh Palmer. You are our Elvis Impersonator Award winner of the week. And Paul, I do see you You mentioned uh, Jordan Addison on this list. Addison had an awesome day, and I, I did consider him uh, for a different award on this list. He missed the cut for this award only because uh, Justin Jefferson did suit up for the Vikings as well and, and was healthy in this game, so I didn't really – I overlooked a little bit of that with this specific, specific – specificity – specifics. That's a really hard word to say. <laughs> you're, you're, make, you're making it difficult for sure. I can't do it. Specificity – fuck. Um, <laughs> I can't do it. Specificity <laughs> – specificity specificity just stop trying man just stop trying i'm leave. i'm leaving this in by the way <laughs> um geez you know what i meant um b john robinson is going to be my you let the whole team down award winner awful day from b john didn't even he didn't even crack zero he had negative he had a negative tenth of a point in fantasy weeks not a great day for the falcons either they lost to the lowly Panthers, uh, nine to six. I believe the final score was he had seven attempts for 11 yards. He also had one reception and I, I don't understand why Arthur Smith isn't getting in the ball more. It doesn't make sense to me when your team stinks, you would think you want to, you would want to give the ball to one of your more talented players more often, but that's just me. Um, Tough day for Bijan Robinson, even tougher day for fantasy football managers who had Bijan in their lineup. If, God forbid, you lost a game by two tenths of a point and Bijan had this negative one tenth of a point in your starting lineup, I feel bad for you. I feel really bad for you. That's a tough way to go out. So, um, congratulations or not so much to Bijan Robinson, are you let the whole team down, award winner? of week 15 next up our discount double stack award this is slowly becoming my favorite award actually in fantasy football uh, a stack play is something that a lot of managers incorporate but some folks try to stay stay away from because the the boomer bust potential of it can be pretty pretty big sometimes but this week we we did have a, a pretty good surprise in this category, Baker Mayfield and Chris Godwin, man, we talked about Mayfield's perfect day earlier in the show. He and Chris Godwin combined for 53.14 combined fantasy points. There were some other guys, quarterback wide receiver duos who combined for more points. But the point of this award is, is to give the discount double stack trophy to someone who you wouldn't typically expect to double up with uh, in your lineup. So Baker Mayfield, Chris Godwin, congratulations to the duo of Tampa Bay Buccaneers players. They are our discount double stack of the week. Um, two more awards here. Put me in coach award. This one is going to a player of some sort who isn't going to be in most fantasy leagues, or he's certainly not going to be in most starting lineups, but he's someone maybe you're going to want to take a closer look at after this week. Maybe he's someone you regretted not starting this past week. 
for me this time around, it's going to be Ty Chandler running back for the Minnesota Vikings, uh, 26.2 fantasy points. He was only started in 18.1% of leagues and rostered in less than half of leagues. So there's definitely some merit in the numbers there for, for maybe some more fantasy managers picking him up. I actually remember really early in the year, the Vikings turned to him with some injuries in their running back room. And he was a hot waiver wire pickup at the time and, and didn't really perform that well. And now he's starting to show a little bit more of that with, with all the changes that have gone down with Minnesota, with their quarterbacks, they relied on him a little bit more in this game. And, and he played pretty well um, against the Bengals. Ty Chandler, you are our put me in coach award winner of the week. Um, I actually think he, he could have a pretty solid game coming up uh, next week as well. Um, we'll. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, if Madison comes back, I, I would say his chances of having a good day are a little bit less. Anyways, our MVP of the week. First, I'm going to highlight an honorable mention, a guy who's very deserving and probably even more deserving of, of the overall MVP award. But I wanted to, to, make, to, to not take the easy route. <laughs> So Christian McCaffrey, 42.2 fantasy points this past weekend. Definitely the, the highest among all scorers. Um, 18.2 points over his expected total in this game. CMC is like a fantasy football cheat code, man. Christian McCaffrey, definitely at this point, the argument against him being the best running back of our generation is it's getting smaller and smaller by the week. and. Um, yeah, I mean, what else can you say about the guy? He's special, just special. But like I said, I didn't want to take the easy road. So James Cook is going to be our MVP of the week. He was certainly the MVP for Buffalo in that win against Dallas. 38.1 fantasy points, 25.2 points over his expected total for the week. Wowzers. James freaking Cook, man. I mean, you could have even, I could have even picked him as the Elvis impersonator award winner for impersonating his brother from five years ago. Like <laughs> James Cook was crazy in this game. And um, we'll have to see if he can keep that up. Like I said earlier in the show, he's second in the league in rushing yards, but he only has two rushing touchdowns on the season. So if his usage goes up a little bit more in that sense, he could end up being one of the better running back choices to lead your team next year. I wouldn't hang your hat on that though, because Allen still does get a lot of love in, in those short yardage situations near the goal line, as does um, uh, Latavius Murray, but cook is, is a very talented young player. And um, is this week's MVP in the fantasy football world. Congratulations, James cook. 38.1 fantasy points. You are our week 15 MVP in the fantasy football world. Paul, what's your perfect lineup looking like for this week, my friend? Yeah, nice rundown, Patrick. I appreciate you uh, taking the reins on that with the awards here. I think everybody that you you dished them out to is pretty deserving. Um, and I appreciate you doing that because I was just making the final touches to my perfect lineup. Before I go into that, a uh, brief little recap about how 
on my lineup did last week. Uh, not so hot, to be honest with you. Had a couple good picks in there, but if anybody remembers from last week, I had Matt Stafford as my QB, who was solid, but a mid-level quarterback. Um, that team played from ahead a lot, something I probably should have considered more. I think he only had like 18 and a half points. CMC was the RB1, so that was definitely a good call. Not exactly difficult. B. John Robinson crapped the bed, as you said. Tyreek Hill uh, didn't even play, so that one kind of doesn't count, but had him as my wide receiver one. A.J. Brown and C.D. Lamb, both kind of underwhelming days. Smartest move I did make was Sam Laporta, who I believe led all tight ends in points last week. I know he found the end zone three times, five for 56. Yes, he did led all tight ends there with 26 points in that one so that was a good pick but by and large i don't think the team that i put out last week was gonna win um too many fantasy games because it was a little bit too inconsistent across the board but you know what i'm back and i'm gonna try to help you win fantasy games with this perfect lineup suggestion we'll start in the quarterback position i'm gonna go dak prescott in this one i'm expecting a bounce back game from dallas in general um i think that there should be some points and some fireworks put up in this game between them and miami and though Miami's defense is better with Jalen Ramsey now in it, I still don't think it's perfect. So I'm going Dak Prescott in the QB spot, hoping to get at least 25 to 30-ish out of him. RB1, uh, if you listened to me last week, you know exactly where I'm going with this. If you watched him play last week, you know exactly where I'm going with this. Christian McCaffrey absolutely deserves to be the RB1 here. I'm not even going to say anything more about it. He's your RB1 every week. RB2, I am going to go Joe Mixon here. Uh, Steelers' run defense was kind of gashed with a uh, not-too-healthy Colts lineup. Um, they had their third-string running back out there, like I mentioned. Steelers' defense has certainly shown cracks, and it is uh, battered and bruised big time. You know, they've had a lot of injuries to the linebacker position as well. I uh, heard Cam Hayward on our defensive line was in concussion protocol as well this week. Don't know his status. I think it could be a great matchup for the Bengals against a beaten and bruised Steeler defense. I'm going to go Joe Mixon in the RB2 slot. We've clearly seen Cincinnati is still able to score points with Jake Browning in the offense that they have. Uh, don't know Jamar Chase's status, so it could also influence the Bungles to run the ball more with Joe Mixon. Wide receiver one, I know he didn't play last week. Um, I don't care. I'm still putting him in the lineup uh, as long as he's healthy. Sticking with Tyreek Hill, banking on him playing. I think that the Dolphins will need him to play in a, a big game against the Dallas Cowboys. And like I said, I think I, there should be some points in this one. And uh, Tyreek Hill is going to have to be involved on that. So I got him as my wide receiver one. Wide receiver two, um, I'm going to go to a guy here who had a down week. This past week, even though his team in general did well, and that's Mike Evans. Chris Godwin got a lot of the, the targets and the catches, but by and large, this has been Mike Evans's receiving core this year. Baker Mayfield has come on in, in the past couple of weeks, and the Bucks have a matchup with the Jaguars who have struggled uh, from a pass defense perspective. I think we could see a big breakout day from Mike Evans to, um, I guess, combat or whatever you want to say compared to uh, that down day that he had just this past week so mike evans at my wide receiver two spot in my flex i am going to my boy that i've preached all year this year amon ross st brown who got back off the schneid with a 100 yard day and a touchdown against denver last week he's got a great matchup with minnesota and that game is going to be played in a dome i mentioned earlier when i was talking about detroit how good jared goff is when he plays in a dome averages over two and a half touchdowns 
per game when he plays inside. That's, of course, where they're going to play, even though it's on the road. The conditions should be perfect. I expect some more points scored than this one. Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be my flex. Let's head on over to the tight end position now. And here's a guy, I mean, my God, I, I don't know how many people had him on their, their radar when we started this year, but he continues to have good performances. And that's Trey McBride. Should not be overshadowed. Had 10 catches for 102 yards in that game against San Francisco. And he's got a very favorable matchup for tight ends um, at Chicago. So the weather could be a little bit of an issue there. Uh, can tend to be a little bit windy in the Windy City. So it's uh, important for fantasy managers to always check that and consider that. But the Bears are the 30th ranked um, defense in terms of opponent points against tight ends. Uh, you were butchering that word that you were saying earlier. I I, I butchered the opponent points against. Uh, Not as bad as I, I butchered specificity. <laughs> specificity, that was the word. So uh, hard to say. <laughs> nonetheless, I'll specify Trey McBride is my tight end here. I think he's got a golden matchup and Kyler Murray loves to throw to him. So <laughs> thank you for flipping me the double bird for anybody who can see on YouTube. <laughs> oh, man. It's a hard word. All right. Let's round this one out with uh, kicker and defense here. I'm going to go Jason Myers for my kicker. Uh, very good matchup in terms of uh, opponent points against for kickers against Tennessee. Um, Tennessee's a pretty good team in terms of uh, limiting the red zone. I think they're also one of the best. You talked about Cincinnati being pretty good in the red zone. Tennessee, I know, is also very good at limiting touchdowns in the red zone. And and they uh, teams get take frequent trips down there. So Best Best in the league. Yeah, best in the league, Tennessee is. So I'm expecting Seattle to be able to move the ball, especially considering Drew Locke um, and or Geno Smith. We'll see. I think it might be Locke again. Um, build on that confidence a little bit from last week against Philadelphia. I expect them to be able to move the ball, but that Tennessee defense has been somewhat stout when their backs are against it in the red zone. So I'll have Jason Myers there, pretty reliable kicker as well. And then um, – for my defense, I'm going to go the Eagles. I know that it's crazy because we talked about them being a shaky unit, but I love their matchup against Tommy DeVito and the Giants here. I think that they can force some fumbles, pick up some sacks. I mean, at the end of the day, whether you have questions about the Eagles or not from the defensive side of things, I don't think that you can discount the fact that the Giants O-line is basically shambles right now and they're going to give up sacks. You should get some points there. So to recap, my lineup. QB, Dak Prescott, RBs, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, receivers, Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, Flex, Amon Ross St. Brown, Trey McBride in my tight end, Jason Myers kicking, and the Eagles on defense. Can you imagine if the Eagles lost that game? Yeah, that would be pandemonium. Uh, that would sure. be awesome. I'm like, I'm kind of hoping that happens just because it would be really fun. But we'll yeah, see. I would be I, I still like throughout this podcast and kind of in general, still I've still, I think, given the impression, you know, pump the brakes, Philly will kind of figure it out. And to, and like, I do think that's going to happen if the Giants beat them. I, I'll be completely off that train. I will hop off. I'll hop off the boat for sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll have to see there. That would be pretty, pretty bonkers, but I, I don't think it's very likely. We've got a fun segment here to wrap up with definitely holiday themed. So the idea essentially is we have a sports world, naughty or nice list right now. And um, a lot of this is, is NFL stuff because that's been the theme of today's podcast. Paul, for all intensive purposes, you are our Santa Claus at the moment. Okay. You're deciding who's going to be naughty or nice. Oh, 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 oh. 
Ho, 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 indeed, my friends. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and I'm going to be giving you a few names. Tell me if they are naughty or nice and a little bit of a reason why. So we're going to start out with none other than a guy we teased a little bit earlier on the show from your Pittsburgh Steelers, Mr. George Pickens. George Pickens has been naughty this year. I love the talent. I still think that he can be a really good player in this league, and I hope that the Steelers can find a way to turn around. But he's just taking plays off, man. He took that play off. He, he's not blocking. Um, and, you know, there was a, also an interception that I didn't mention earlier in the game, or it was late in the game, but I didn't mention it earlier when we were talking Steelers-Colts. Trubisky overthrew him by a mile. This was towards the end of the game. But Pickens, like you look at the video, he's not even really chasing after the defender on that run back. There's a lot of things going wrong right now when it comes to George Pickens, and, and the effort just hasn't always been there. George Pickens is on the naughty list this year. Okay, okay. Next pick. We're going to stay in the AFC North. How about Joe Burrow? You know, Jake Browning's got a lot of the love throughout this podcast and certainly the past couple of weeks with him turning the Bengals season around. But Joe Burrow's on the nice list for me, and here's why. Joe Burrow has been giving his his suite away to Jake Browning and his family. I think we've seen pics of uh, the Browning family uh, over the past couple of weeks, and who knows, maybe they'll take over the DeVito family for, uh, for most famous backup QB family, although that is quite – quite a big ask for them, but I think it's incredibly generous. The bros giving away his suite to, to Browning there. You see him still on the sideline trying to help and coach out. And I, you know, he has to be in Browning's ear, helping him out with things. So I think Joe Burrow, it's been a tough season for him. He's dealt with injuries at the beginning of the year and then obviously got knocked out uh, midway through the year, but let's put him on the nice list. I think he's being a great teammate and friend to Jake Browning this year. Shouldn't be overlooked. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, Another quarterback. We're going to stick in the AFC again, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I'm going to put Patrick Mahomes on the naughty list, and I, I just haven't forgotten the way he acted after the uh, the call, the offsides call uh, a week ago against Buffalo, and really more so for how he acted when he uh, went to midfield and greeted Josh Allen. I know he's since apologized for it, but Santa hasn't forgotten you know, if you're going to whine, you're going to get a little bit of a lump of coal in your stocking. And uh, maybe, you know, all the lump of coal that Mahomes needs is to just have Kadarius Tony still on the team, because I think that that's worse than any coal that Santa could bring you. But <laughs> Mahomes has still looked, you know, pretty dissatisfied with everything that's going on with the receivers. And I, you know, I think he's handled it maybe as well as he can. But I still that's in the back of my mind for the way he handled that call from the referees last week. Mahomes is on the naughty list. And after that, Tony, that I say Tony interception. After that bobbled pass Tony had against the Pats this weekend that led to an interception, there was a camera cut to Mahomes on the sideline again, talking smack about his teammates, saying something along the lines of like, I just said that, blah, 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 whatever. He's on the naughty list for me too. Um, another quarterback. <laughs> this is my guy, Tom Brady. Is he how is he on either of these lists? Well, I mean, we already talked about this guy uh, already. I, you know, I, first of all, I'm going to put Tom Brady on the naughty list, whether he's been good or bad. But I got him on the naughty list here. It's like, dude, like I said earlier, just stop your talking, man. Just can we get a little bit of a break from you? 
you know, the talking about the league is soft and everything like that, when a large part of it is because those rules were put in place to protect your ass and keep the viewership up for the NFL. I just don't, you know what, Tom, just stop talking. Okay. We're going to get you announcing in the booth in due time. Just stop talking. You're on the naughty list. Oh, come on, Paul, be real. You, you at least sort of miss making it to the playoffs so that Brady can knock you out every year, at least a little bit. let's move let's move on to the next one (laughs) you did not like that um how about cam newton i think we can agree more on this one yeah you know i got more naughties than nice i guess i'm kind of a a me and santa in that one i put put cam on the naughty list too i don't know if people saw on his podcast or he came out and he said that guys like brock purdy and dak prescott were game managers I mean, what the hell is he talking about, dude? This is another guy who had a flash in the pan. He was good for a couple years. Yeah, he won the MVP, but he flamed out. He was a runner who, who got too banged up, and he, he couldn't maintain his success. And now that these guys like Purdy and Dak Prescott are having success in the league, doing it differently than Cam Newton did, he's going to try to denigrate them and call them game managers. Come on. These are two of the top guys for the MVP race. Cam Newton, sit down, shut up. You had a couple good years but you're out of the league now. He's been naughty. I agree with you. I I will actually double down and say if Cam had been a little bit more of a game manager in his career, he might have a Super Bowl ring to show for it. But that's just me. That's just me. I think, he's, I think he might still be playing. If, yeah. if he was ability to just sit back in the pocket and throw and just take what's given to him. For sure. I mean, that's like, that's what quarterbacking is at the bare minimum. And he was never able to do that. Um, whatever. Anyways, we're going to stick in the quarterback tree. This time we're going to go with a Sir Drew Locke. Okay. So after all of the naughties, this is actually the number one guy on the nice list. That was, if anybody saw his post-game interview after the Seahawks-Eagles game last night, that was one of the best interviews that I've ever seen. Just go back and watch it and listen to it because I can't do it justice. To me, this was a guy who seemed to have finally gotten it. He was talking about um, how great it was for everybody to rally behind him, how everybody believed in him. And I think that this is a guy who, you know, finally has understood his role in the NFL and things didn't really work out for him as a starter in Denver. And it's unfortunate, but his teammates clearly like playing for him. He likes playing with him. I, I, that's all I can say, man, go back, watch the interview. Drew Locke does a phenomenal job to go ahead and win that game. And then he gives everybody credit, gives the defense credit, gives his receivers credit. You know, this was a guy that I saw mature right before my eyes in that game. And in that interview, you know, goes from this this young kid just dancing on the sidelines in Denver and not really being productive. Great for Drew Locke. I think he's got a new perspective on things. I think they said he's got a daughter on the way to or maybe he he just had a, a daughter born. So hell of a job, Drew Locke. I gained a lot of respect for him, man. He's on the nice list. I'm with you. I'm I'm rooting for him going forward. I hope he gets another start. Let's um Let's go to a little bit of a different side of the football world. How about Deion Sanders? Oh, man. You know what? I, I It's either you love Deion or you hate him, right? And I just I, – I don't know. You know, it's a guy – didn't he win, like, sports person of the year or something he did. this year? He did. You know, I – I got him on the naughty list, man. I think that this guy just tries to hog too much attention for himself. And, and you know, just a little bit too out there for me. You know, I, I heard some stuff on uh, – podcast called fearless with uh jason whitlock who 
Uh, granted, I've I've seen a couple clips from Jason Whitlock out there. He is definitely an anti Dion guy. So, I mean, consider the source that it's coming from. I'll preface with that. But he had some uh, former Colorado student athletes on, and they were saying how, like, there's a red carpet out front of Dion's office that you got to take your shoes off. And there's a one of the, like a welcome mat that Dion Sanders has that says, um, like, did coach call you in here? Said something to that degree. And I, I just, you know what? I, I think that he's like putting himself on way too much of a pedestal when I don't think that that is what you need to be doing in the college game. I think he needs to be built, focusing on building up his players more than building up his own image comes out here with the big cowboy hat and the sunglasses that take up half his face i personally just don't like it man i think that it's pompous it's arrogant and he only went four and eight this year i mean come on man i got Deion sanders on the naughty list he's also so he's not teaching the class but the university of colorado is now offering a course on public performance and leadership that is based around Dion. i i lean more towards the naughty list but I will say nobody would have even mentioned Colorado's football program twice in any sentence of any kind this time last year. So I do think you have to give him credit a little bit for putting them on the map, even though they only had a four win season. Like I think what he's doing there is going to be good for that university and for that, um, yeah, but that city in the long run. I think I saw something that their economy like the revenue in the in Boulder went up or not Boulder. It's not in Boulder. Um, no, it's the, Boulder. University of Colorado is Boulder. But the, the revenue in Boulder went up by like, I think like three or 400% or something like that. They brought in a ton of funds just because he was there. So I, I agree. Like if you don't like prime as who he is as a person, you're not going to like anything he does. But I, People like fans of his from the eighties and nineties love what he's doing for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue with you that. Yeah. He, he's certainly probably done a good job for that town or that college town in general, but he is annoying like, though a little bit. I agree. Yeah. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, like he put Colorado on, you said he put Colorado on the map, which I don't necessarily disagree with, but not because of what they did on the field, just because of like what he does like off the field in front of the yeah. camera. They were they were four and eight, dude. Yeah. No, anyway, I'm, I'm, a, yeah, I'm, I'm with an you. I'm with you. Um, otherwise, how about, <laughs> how about Darius Leonard? This is actually, I like this one. Yeah. Um, this one actually, uh, I want to say, I wanted to save this one for last and, um, it's going to be a nice list guy. So let's go back to uh, Thanksgiving time. Uh, Darius Leonard was actually cut by the Indianapolis Colts uh, the day before Thanksgiving, cut on November 21st. However, the following day, which is Thanksgiving morning, or, or maybe it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, the following day anyway, he was still uh, with the other Colts players handing out turkeys for uh, for those in need in the Indianapolis area, uh, making sure that people in that area, maybe a little bit less fortunate, were still able to have a Thanksgiving feast. This is the dude who just got cut the day before. I think that that shows a tremendous character, tough situation for him, a guy that's had so much success for the Colts over the past couple of years, but injuries have just kind of hurt him too much uh, this season. And, and he's not quite the player he was able to put all of that aside and understand, you know, that it's more important that people in need get the food that they need on Thanksgiving and are able to celebrate and enjoy the holiday. 
I, incredible, man. You know, that that's the kind of character that we need in the NFL and just with people in general in life. So I wanted to save that one for last. I'm glad that you did. Uh, let's make Darius Leonard on the nice list. Uh, I had more naughties than nice, but I think that degree of nice was was more than anybody on the naughty list. I'll say that. Well, we do have one more name we have to mention. Uh, Draymond Green is also on this short list of names you gave to me. And, and I want to <laughs> I would love to go off on Draymond Green shortly. Yeah, I didn't know. Okay, so I was saying that Leonard would be the last one because I didn't know if we were going to touch on this because it wasn't um, an NFL guy. But uh, I mean, dude, Draymond Green gets suspended every other like every other week. It seems like um, it was a hit on Yusef Nurkic, I believe. And like, dude, he just fucking open hand fists him like cold cocks him. He is Nurkic is trying to play defense on him, and he just turns around and basically, you know open fist punches him. I mean, what is that guy doing? Um, I heard suspended indefinitely. I don't know what the exact timetable is. He's just a dirty player. I, I I try not to use that phrase too much. It's a phrase that I don't really like using um, unless it's obvious. He is definitely somebody that's deserving of, of, uh, of that title, man. That's, that's classless. Yeah. The, <laughs> the funniest part of that was, in the interview after the game, he already had like a full prepared statement. And one of his points was he said something along the lines of like, I don't think I'm an accurate enough puncher to not be looking at a guy and turn and hit a dude as accurately as I did. Well, hate to break it to you, Draymond, but you literally just did that. <laughs> I, uh, I mentioned, I watched UFC 296. I was disappointed. He wasn't on either of the main or, or prelim cards. He, he would have been great for sure. Dude. I mean, doesn't it say something that he already had a statement prepared? The dude gets suspended so much. He probably has a, like a script ready to go of what, yeah. Of what to say. Like uh, a Mad Libs of fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't know. Uh, terrible. You know, I, I do think he's a gritty player to a degree, but I mean, uh, Anti-Draymond, naughty, 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 naughty. Steve, even Steve Kerr has talked about him needing to change. This is, I think this suspension comes just as much from the Warriors as it does from the league. I Hurts saw the team too. Like he's a, like he yeah. is a valuable defensive player and everything. And he he's, he's helped them win titles in the past, but and he's taken himself out of the lineup because he gets suspended so much. You're just hurting the team. Well, after that, the, the Warriors have been struggling this year. They're currently under 500 even after they literally just as of the last two minutes sealed an overtime win over my Boston Celtics, who have the best record in the NBA. Um, not happy about that, by the way, can't wait to go back and watch hate, watch that I should say. Um, yeah, it's Draymond is a very polarizing player and we'll have to see whether he changes his ways. Um, Cause if they're giving him an indefinite suspension, for, for this, you have to think they're not going to support many more instances of things like this happening for him. So we'll have to see what happens with him in the future. Um, last thing, I still, I'm up 10 bucks on you from our wagers. I want to give you one more opportunity to get back to even. So I'm going to give you, well, actually you, you won last week. So I'm going to let you choose which of these matchups we go we go by, but I'll give you a short list of games to choose choose from. Um, 
All right. Cowboys, Dolphins, Ravens, Niners, or... How about that Ravens-Niners game? You seem pretty... You seem to uh, to be pretty confident Baltimore can keep that close, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think... I would be surprised if Baltimore won, so I wouldn't necessarily... I'm willing to give you an adjusted line. So San Francisco, this is Monday night on Christmas Day, by the way. So this is the final game of the NFL slate. Yeah. Currently, San Francisco sits as a minus five and a half point favorite. I will give you an adjusted line. I will say San Francisco wins this by double digits. I will take San Francisco minus 10 even. You willing to do that? You take Baltimore plus 10? Yeah, 100%. Straight up. So like like minus ten, straight up. Yeah. All right. I'll take San Francisco minus ten. That's how confident I am in the in the Niners. Okay. You're definitely getting the better end of the deal on this one. Yeah. That's no. just how confident I am. This is going to be a statement bet. Well, the line is five and a half. I would say that's. I actually think that's a little low, but I wouldn't go as far as to go ten. So. Fair enough. I'm calm. I'm confident and we'll put it at 10 even. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with it. Let's do that. Let's do that. Shake. (laughs) Shake. There we go. Uh, Other lines I'm kind of looking at the Cowboys Dolphins game. I just teased is minus one and a half in Miami's favor. Um, Tampa currently a home favorite against Jacksonville by a single point. And otherwise, I mean, Nothing else really jumps out at me. Like, I don't know. That's that's probably it, I would say. The only other one that gives me even a little bit of pause is the Packers only being favored by five against the Panthers. They they should win that game by a touchdown, I would think, but maybe not. Um, all right. Also, um, Stroud is not expected to play this weekend. I just saw Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Maybe that's that's a worse injury than I thought. Cleveland is favored in that game against the Texans by two and a half. If uh, if Stroud's not playing, I think think Cleveland definitely wins that. So Houston's really going to want CJ back for for their playoff hopes to stay alive, um, even though they did just get get a win this past weekend. But we'll see. Do you have any other notes to wrap up with? No, that's about it. I mean, we we pretty covered, uh, pretty much covered everything comprehensively. Uh, I'm excited to get back into talking some other sports in the coming weeks. I think just NFL is kind of dominating right now. Uh, I'm excited to uh, to talk some college football. It's been a little bit of a long layoff, but we're gonna have that coming back around. Should be next week as uh, as we give a little preview, hopefully, to those New Year's Day matchups. Had a blast again, Patrick. Man, I hope all of our listeners enjoy. Had a great time. Absolutely. I'm excited as well when the uh, we'll definitely talk some college football stuff next week. If anything crazy major happens in any of the other sports worlds, we'll certainly hit on it as well. Um, Yeah. Got some exciting few weeks ahead for, for the sports world and for this show as well. If you haven't found us on socials yet, you can find us on Twitter at fifth and long on Instagram and YouTube at fifth and long pod. 
Uh, and that's F-I-F-T-H and long, not five, the number T-H. So commish, men, get some rest. You need it. You got a long holiday mm-hmm. travel ahead of you tomorrow. Um, pleasure to have you on this evening. An early Merry Christmas to you. You and I will definitely talk before the holiday, but to all of our listeners, uh, this is our holiday uh, episode for all intents and purposes. So happy holidays to you, your family, your friends, Merry Christmas, whatever you celebrate, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, the whole nine yards. We're inclusive people. And uh, we hope you enjoy your holiday season with with friends and families and, and keep your spirits bright, just like Paul and I are trying to do. So Paul, thanks my friends. Have a great night. Fifth and long listeners, thank you. Stay tuned with us for all information regarding next week's episode. And have a merry, merry Christmas and an awesome rest of your week. Thank you. Thank you.